Hello and welcome to Better Than Super Mario Brothers, a podcast where we dive headfirst into cinema sewer. I am Chris Bolton. With me, as always, my partner in podcasting, Mr. Mark Williams. Hello. And uh, yeah, this episode we're looking at, uh, this is going to be a weird one for me. We're looking at Gus Van Sant's 1998, uh, do you call it a remake? Well, I, I don't guess. know. Remake I mean, Psycho? I, I... At, at the time, I mean, they, they were talking about it being a shot-for-shot remake. They were talking about it being... There's lots to talk about since about it being an experiment in, into whether you can actually reproduce a shot for shot. Um, well, that's that's yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I don't really know where it fits to be honest. I mean, from from a younger age. I mean, this came out in '98, so I was 15 ish, um, and I very much remember we went to um, we went to Disney World and Universal when I was about eight or nine um for the first time. So I mean, I was I, I mean, I'd, I'd seen Psycho when I was like 10 or something like that. Because not as fuck all in it, um, and so I loved the original. And then when this came out, I really didn't know what to make of it. I really didn't know the fact that they'd actually done it in the first place. I, re- I wasn't sure about that. And the majority of my gripes with attempts at remakes stem from this film. Insofar as if you're gonna if you're gonna remake it, you, you or when when people remake films, they always, you always gonna think, oh, I, I want to remake because it always meant so much to me. It was a film I loved, but then they colossally fuck it up. Generally, I don't think that's what was at play here. I don't think it was a case of Van Sango, oh, it's my favourite film of all time, I want to remake it to pay homage to Hitchcock. I think there was something else going on with it. I just can't quite figure, I've never been able to figure out where this sits. It's very, very weird. Um, and I see this episode actually being very weird um, for reasons we'll come on to in a moment. But yeah, to get into the history of it with me, yeah, it came out in 1998. Um, Cards on the Table, Psycho is one of the best films ever made if you ask me is one of my favorite films of all time it is the reason i am a filmmaker um psycho was the film that really just opened my eyes to the possibilities of telling story with film um it was the first film i ever wrote a paper on i wrote an a-level film studies paper for psycho um and it was even though i was taking film studies i did it because i liked films and it sounded like a fucking skive um but it was psycho that made me realize actually no i i don't just like films this is something that i can do when there is more at play here and so it was the first film i really looked at critically and and really oh, like to say it just awoke the storyteller in me i guess uh, and the visual storyteller so at that point i sat my a-level film early um because you wouldn't think it to look at me but i'm not dull um so <laughs> i <laughs> i sat a level film uh, slightly earlier than I should have. I guess I was 15, I guess, either 15 or 16. When are you supposed to take A-levels? 17, isn't it? Yeah. A-levels are 18. So, A-levels are 18, right. So I did them at 16 then. So I did film, just film, nothing else. I did film at 16 at night school, because why not? Um, so that would have been 1997. And this came out the year after. I know the two were very close together. Um, and this just blew my fucking mind uh much like you i couldn't wrap my head around it it's a film uh i've now seen this rewatch i think is about the fourth time i've watched it and every time i come away from it just thinking what the fuck is that and part of me kind of appreciates it for that as well it's it's interesting um and, and the reason i say i think this episode will be different than normal is because normally we go through a film um, and, you know, we we tend to pick holes in things as we go. The problem with this is other than looking at it at a whole and looking at the performances, which themselves 
um, fall into a larger narrative of the level of direction given to those performances and the casting involved, if you ask me. Um, there isn't a great deal wrong with this film. It, it, I mean, it is, they shoot the original script. All the original setups are used. It's not shot for shot. People tell you it is. There are some additional shots in yeah. here. Very, very, very slight ones. Yeah, even um, the ones they try to even the ones that are supposed to be shot for shot, there are subtle differences, like angles. No, angles are slightly off and stuff like that because cameras are different sizes and things like that. So there are some differences. There's also um, some things that Van Sant was able to do that Hitchcock just flat out yeah. wasn't. The opening tracking shot, for instance, yeah. um, it is all done in one complete take now. Um, whereas Hitchcock had to cut and, and famously was really annoyed by it because yeah. he wanted to just go all the way into the window. So it's not entirely shot to shot. But for all intents and purposes, it is the same film made later on with new technology, weirdly lit and the production design as well apes the original era, though, which is very bizarre. Yeah, I've got um, some notes on that. Yeah. Um, so... That's a point I should get my notes actually, shouldn't I? I'm actually just I'm actually just spouting off the top of my head here at the moment. Um, hang on a minute. Such is my love of Psycho, actually. That I, could, I probably could do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's not quite shot for shot. But the tube experiment is interesting because yes, that's definitely um, what a lot of the discussion around this film has become. And actually, you know, not to sound. I'm sorry, I'm going to apologise now. There's no way I can do this episode of the podcast without bringing out the shitty film school rejecting. Oh, okay? I was going to see there's, some pro- going... there's going to be some proper film school wank in this episode. There, there has to be. Up on Front Street I'm, now. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, all right? This Psycho just brings that out to me, okay? Um, and so in the first viewing, that's kind of what I came away from it with, is that's an interesting experiment. And the reason I say that is because... I don't know, listeners, obviously, I don't know who all of you are. Some of you we speak to on social media. And if you don't speak to us on social media, please do. We do enjoy the discourse. So I know some of you better than others. But in general, I'm sure there are a lot of you out there who have been to some form of film, uh, film school, just like us. Now, if you have, I can almost guarantee you will have been through this exercise. Uh, I know uh, one of the first things we ever shot together was actually a sh- supposedly a shot for shot remake of a scene from Korea Girls. Yeah. Um, now, was- the now, those things are very interesting experiments because our, like when we did it, I think our, our class was split into groups, into four groups, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's take was entirely different. Ours was different to another team's, was different to another team's, and they were all different to the original. Now, we all had the same script. different. Yeah, we all had the same script. We all had the same shot list to work from, everything. But the differences, the subtle differences in between each one, or, or as you say, in the case of ours, were vastly different. So... Going through all of that at this time, because once I started down the journey with A-Level Film, like I never backed off. I followed that through and did a media production degree, and then I followed that through and did a master's in film. So I've been behind a camera my whole life since that point, um, with various varying degrees of success, some might argue. But I've been behind the camera my whole life since that point. So I was deaf, and this was the height of my film school wanky years. Like, I'm a fucking... I'm a 17-year-old approaching 18, think I know better than everybody on the planet, and I've just sat my A-level film early and passed it. I am unfucking bearable at this point. <laughs> so while everybody else is shitting on this film, I'm there stroking what, what passes for a beard when you're 17, uh, what was actually like pubes on my chin, just going, yes, but isn't it interesting how they managed to completely recreate it with different performances, and somehow it's a completely different energy. But that's true. That's still how I look at this now. It fascinates me that you can shoot the same script 
And it, it just speaks volumes to how important both a performance and the direction of that performance is. Yeah. And on the other show over on Game of Moments, I talk about this shit all the time, about how direction isn't about that's where to put the camera. Direction is about bringing a piece together as a whole. And that's what's different here. You know, Hitchcock is is always held up as one of the prime shining examples of auteur theory, and as he absolutely should be. And this just absolutely hammers that home. Like, you cannot recreate a Hitchcock film unless you're Hitchcock. Yeah. You just can't. You can try. You can try all you like. God knows we've all imitated him at some point. The guy yeah. was a master. We all know that. But it's not about where he puts the camera and it's not about who he decides to cast or it, it's about all of it together. And there is just this completely different energy. Now, some of the decisions that have been made here are more telling than others. Some have a bigger impact on the story than others as well. But all in all, it just has a completely different energy to it. It's very, very odd. It's the same film, but it's not. Yeah. It's like this weird doppelganger. Um, I, I, I just don't know what to make of this film. I'll be honest. I'm going to put this on Front Street. I don't hate it. I never have. Um, I've never been somebody that's been really down on this film. Um, like I said, this is the fourth time I've watched it. Out of choice, I'm never taking this off the bookshelf over the original, ever. But now and again, I just feel like, yeah, why not? I'll stick it on. Normally, after watching the original, weirdly, I've done them back to back twice out of the four times that I've watched them. <laughs> one of the other times was this one I've just watched, and the other was in the cinema, first time out. So so there you go. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll try and go through it. But I think more of the discussion here is going to be about this as a as an experiment and as a project on the yeah. whole, because so much of what what makes this film different and what people are kind of down on it for is actually just the fact that it exists and the general tone of it. Um, yeah. I am going to set us a challenge right here and now. We need to try and attempt to make it through this episode without discussing Anne Heche's butthole. Um, I'm not making any fucking promises. I will try my best not to sing the song, but I can't promise not to make it through without <laughs> discussing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think it's going to be one, it's, it's difficult. I and mean, we had this, I think, when we did Suicide Squad as well that it's difficult to talk about it as a as a product in its own right because it's so it owes so much to other things. I mean with that obviously it's you know, it's the source material with this it's um it's the original film. Um I so I I've, I so I saw this in the cinema and didn't really know what to make of it. I think this is possibly the third rewatch. I mean I, I, I think I saw it with some friends when I was in uni when we may or may not have been slightly baked. Mm-hmm. Um and then I rented it yes oh, at the weekend to watch yesterday. Um, so this will be my third, if not fourth, rewatch. I can't remember. Um, and I remember at the time coming out of the, thing, of the cinema thinking, like, it's shit because it's psycho, but it's not psycho. And I think it took me a long time to get over that. So then by the time I got to the second watch, and, yeah, we were not really paying that much attention to it, but everybody came out and went, oh, that's fucking bollocks. And I, was, I remember sitting there thinking, actually, you know what? It's not as bad as I remember. It's no, there are elements to it. There are things I don't like about it, but I think uh, obviously there, there are choi- choices. For one. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, there, there are very particular choices that have been made that I don't like. Um, one being, and they did this with the Bates Motel series as well with Freddie Highmore and Vera Farmiga, where it's set contemporaneously, but it looks like it's not. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason for that. Apparently, nobody told the um, nobody told the costume lady or the costume buyer that it wasn't a period piece, so okay. she went out and bought sixty shit. And then they were kind of stuck with it. Um, 
So that I mean that's interesting. But I mean, no, the, you look at it now, and obviously it looks incredibly dated. Like the cars are from the eight, you know, from the, 80, the late eighties, early nineties, um, or earlier in the case of Viggo Mortensen's truck. Um, so there are things like that. Now some of the costumes you can pass as being maybe early nineties. Um, you've got you know, Vince Vaughn's attempt at the Rock in his fucking turtleneck and jeans. Um, so you know, there are some bits to it, but then like Anne, Anne Hayes's costumes are all straight out of the sixties. Yeah. Uh, so it's it it is interesting. Um and yes, I mean it's it's one of those and the I, I so I rewatched it, so I rented it on Sunday, I watched half of it Sunday night, and then because I was late starting, I thought I'll finish it last night. So rather than rather than sort of struggling through and not quite getting to the end and or being knackered and not remembering. So I did that and I, I remember sitting there last night going, I really don't hate this film. I, I hate no. some of the things they've done in it. Yeah. But it's it's still fucking psycho. Uh yeah, it, it is still psycho. It's it's weird, it's got a weird energy to it. Yeah, but it's it's unmistakably psycho. And look, the, the thing is, like a lot of the time when we're down on the main thing we come down on in this show, because it's our background, the main thing we come down on is story all the time. And look, they're using Robert Block's screenplay here, and like it's it's nigh on flawless. Yeah, like I don't it it's it's so tight this screenplay. Like yeah. it's it's practically anorexic. It's yeah, I mean, like there is there is not an ounce of fat on the bones here. Like the whole thing is like, what is it, ninety something minutes? One hundred four. One hundred and four. Okay, so I'm about ten minutes out. But yeah, so it's, it doesn't it's, feel it though. No, no, it's it's so quick. Um, and look, again, I'm not going to go delve too far into film theory, even. But if you want to look at narrative tropes, if you want to go into act structures, if you want to go for your classic mid second act reversal. All of it. It's it's all there. It is as tight as it can possibly be. So there is just no way, I'm afraid, that I'm going to sit here and pick holes in the story. I can't. It's part of the reason why Psycho is so wonderful. And many, you know, on the show a lot uh, when we when we're talking about sort of um, how how some films kind of try and go for these tropes but don't quite pull them off and don't understand what they're doing. Um, this leans into that heavily. It's like, no, we are we are not going to try and subvert anything. We are just going to go with, and this is going to sound weird, with the original subversion of some of those tropes because that's what made the original so masterful is the fact that somehow Hitchcock manages to, to slightly subvert all of these classic story tropes. Hmm. Uh, like, for instance, the second act, uh, mid-second act twist where Marion, spoilers, gets it in the shower. Um, but... He manages for, for to people who aren't familiar, she gets stabbed in the shower. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I can see how that would be a mistake for us on this show. Um, Especially know, after the last one we did. But that wouldn't traditionally be, you know, you wouldn't kill your heroine mid-second act. That that wasn't so. So Hitchcock just took that and went, yeah, okay, this is where we're going to go with it. Um, and it, and it still sticks to those. It doesn't attempt to try and do anything different. It doesn't attempt to be tongue-in-cheek. It picks up the ball and it runs with it. And, mm. like, look... I, it sounds like we're summing up already and we've barely started talking about it yet. But, I mean, we may as well not bury the lead because we've already been talking about it uh, for some quarter of an hour now. Um, I think actually most of what it does, it does successfully, whether it's to your taste or not. And I'll be honest, it's not to mine. I'll always take the original. But I don't think this can be called bad. I really don't. Um, I understand that there is... And like I said, I would have been one of these people, but I tended to go the other way with it. I can understand how there are a bunch of film school assholes going, ah, yes, but it's a remake and it's not as good as the original. And just being down on it for the sake of being hipster assholes. Yeah. 
And there's no need to do that because actually, you know, as we say all the time on this show, people put a lot of work into this sort of thing. And it's there. All of that work is there on screen. It hasn't been half-assed. Um, and, and I think actually a lot of the cast and the crew didn't help themselves here. You know, I remember reading a lot of the press at the time. I remember William H. Macy being quite down on it straight away, saying he only took it because he wanted to work with uh, Gus Van Sant. And he didn't realize that this is what he was going to be doing, you know. And then I remember Van Sant himself coming out and saying it like the experiment thing. He's now come out and claimed yeah. as his own. He's come out and said, oh, I did it. It's experiment. But at the time, I vividly remember him when he was getting attacked saying, well, I did it. So nobody else would. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and I remember just, that. So I remember not really understanding at the time, not really understanding what he meant. Yeah. And, and that kind of just I think that cheapens it. And that does position it in this place of, well, yes, it's a remake. So I'm going to do it before anyone else can fuck it up. And that opens you up to that broadside then of everybody's going, ah, but you fucked it up and you did this wrong. And you, whereas if he'd have just come out, especially Van Sant as well, who can be experimental. Yeah, especially actually, given the time of this. I mean, he's on the back of Goodwill Hunting as well. Yeah, yeah. Like he's known to be experimental here. He's a bit of an indie darling. So he could have got away with just saying, ah, yeah, I just did it for an experiment. And actually, again, the film school arsehole in me, like there's something in that there there is a kernel of some artistic merit that you can take out of that and just go well yeah that was an experiment how does it make me feel and ultimately that's what art should do people it should make you feel something good art should move you but all art should really make you feel something otherwise why are you bothering um and it does that it you know it has it elicit a strong reaction in people whether they absolutely hated it or whether they were like me going, yeah, but it's quite interesting, isn't it? It made me think. Yeah. Um, did it move me? No, I still think the original is one of the best films ever made, and this isn't. But yeah. it opened up that discussion. So actually, from it has artistic merit, I think. It, and a lot of people will tell you it don't. And I, I'm sorry, but in my opinion, they're wrong. Yeah, I think I think you've got a point. I mean, it's it's quite telling, actually. I mean, everybody ragged on it straight. I think the reason everyone ragged on it is because, I think, like, like I said, it, it doesn't fit anywhere within what we expect. It's not a remake because they because he tried to stick so closely to the original. But it's not an homage because there are some kind of very clear differences. And I think people railed on it because it wasn't the psycho they knew. Mm. But they don't necessarily know what they wanted. Now the, the ironic thing is that okay, this cost sixty million to make. It broke even eventually. Um, but this did far more damage to the franchise than Psycho's two, three, and four. Which, which are absolute fucking, fucking bobbins. Yeah, they are fucking awful, awful films. Yeah, uh, but it, nobody talks about those. Nobody talks about Anthony, Anthony Perkins fucking chewing the scenery. No, maybe, maybe this is should, the thing that killed it. Maybe we should dive into those and do a little psycho mini series. Actually, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe we should look at the sequels because they are fucking dreadful. Um, I've seen yeah, each I, of them once. Yeah, oh, that's enough. Too. I think I've seen Psycho 4 about two or three times. Um, it's also the worst fucking one. But I know it just always seems to be on ITV, or at least it did back in the day. I haven't watched ITV for years, but I just... It, 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 when when ITV expanded and they had extra channels, all of a sudden they used to roll out all of these old horror movies on a Saturday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, or about 10 o'clock. So all the kids are fucked off to bed. Gladiators is finished. Mm. And it's like, right, we'll chuck this shit on now because yeah. we've got it. We've paid for it. We want to get some return on it. So we'll get some ad money through it. Yeah, I've seen it a lot, uh, and, and I'm not proud of that. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do find it quite funny that everybody goes on about this as uh, how how bad this was, and this, nobody is talking about that. Conversely, I think the conversation on Bates Motel never really got started because too many people were quick to jump on this bandwagon. So oh, it's going to be shit because they're going to do what they did in the film. Now, actually, even with that, and I don't want to turn this into a wider ranging podcast. We were talking about this this particular film, but 
again, that did an awful lot. It took a lot of what was implied in the film, and it took a lot, a lot of what was done with the character in later versions of the film, and it actually made the two set made Norman and Norma very um, three dimensional characters, mm. and it, it actually sets a little groundwork. And if you were to, to go through that first, and again, they they have the same issue as this, whereby it's set contemporaneously in their iPhones and shit, but then you go back to the house and it's, um, it's out straight out of the sixties. They, they have a no, they have a corded phone on the wall, and they drive old cars and shit like that. So you've got that aspect to it, which is a bit jarring because it just doesn't fit and yeah. there's any need for it. Um, but, I mean, if you were to come at it now, not knowing any of it, and to watch that and then jump, for, no, jump forward 10, 12, 15 years, wherever it's supposed to be, and go into this version of the film, I honestly don't think it jars that much, apart from the, the, the disparity of you know, having iPhones and shit, um, which obviously, you know, they didn't have mobile, they didn't have uh, mobile phones in this, and um, Julianne Moore very famously had a Walkman because she mentioned it. Um um, I wonder how much they got paid for that product placement. And it um, is jarring seeing that Walkman, isn't it? It's the first yeah. thing you think. You go from, fuck me, it's Julianne Moore, to fucking hell, it's a Walkman. Yeah, I had those yellow <laughs> headphones as well. Yeah, everybody had those. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I didn't, most people I knew had, had grey and black versions of it. I never saw many. No, the, I... the yellow one came was the, was the, the sport one, wasn't it? which was yeah, like, yeah. like rugged and shit. Um, but yeah, so I mean, stuff like that wouldn't, wouldn't translate. But the way the character, the way the characters are set up in that in that show, works really well with what you get in this film. And I think again, if you didn't have this film, you wouldn't have that show in the in the format it's in. I mean, I've I've ne- I've still not seen Bates Mattel. I know we've I've talked about it before, season. and I've said and I've said many many times, it's like it's high up on my list of things to watch because I'm a psycho fan. I've just there's so much TV, and I just never get around to it because it's not one that's. I mean, I'm sure it was on Netflix at one point, but so was everything else. So I was always kind of bouncing around other things. I will get around to it one day, definitely. Um, but yeah, I can certainly see how that would fit into this universe, being that they're both in colour, they're both the same kind of time period. But I think sort of going back to what you're saying about people being down on it, I think there are there are two camps. Well, there are three camps, essentially, I think, with this film. Um, obviously, the intent... You know, regardless of what Van Sant says, his intent, whether it was an experiment or whether it was to remake it, the studio intent here at the end of the day is to make bank. Okay, so they're looking at this. They're off the back of Scream and stuff like that. Yeah, everything's coming out. Slashes are trendy again. So they're thinking, okay, we'll remake Psycho. We're after bank. So they're expecting to remake this and sell it to a young audience who have probably never seen the original or have heard that it is some sort of masterpiece to be revered. And they'd be correct. Okay, now, probably doesn't work for that audience. Because they just aren't used to this kind of, and, and I don't mean to sound down on teenagers, I was one once, they aren't used to this kind of classical narrative. They're going to be going in expecting just a massive body count. Yeah, and they're, they're going to be expecting be... Scream, lots of yeah. high energy, lots of fast kills, no, high, as a high body count, very gory, very expressive, very graphic. Yeah, and, and the temptation there would have been exactly what they didn't do that I was referring to earlier, was to take all of these tropes and flip them on the head like they do in Scream and make it yeah. self-referential and do a remake in that style. And then it would be a classic remake and that it would be nothing like the original, doesn't conserve the feeling of it or anything. It's just got the branding and the characters. Yeah, That wasn't what it was, so that teen audience probably didn't buy into it. Then on the other side of things, you've got the can't think of a, a decent way to say this without offending one or other camp um i'm just gonna i'm just gonna call it, what just it, throw it out there. no 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 I'll, I'll try and be i'll try and be um i'll try and be nice on the other hand you've got let's call them the intellectuals um 
all right, the people that are going because they love the original, because maybe they they know a little bit more about cinema, they appreciate what Psycho is, and they're going because they want to see Psycho, because they liked it. Hello, that's me. Okay? Uh, now, I think 90% of those people are then going to fall into the camp of going, that shit, it's a travesty, how dare they? Yeah. And then there's going to be about 10% that are going to branch off into this middle ground where I am, and it sounds like where you are as well, who actually go... Well, yeah, it's not as good as the original, is it? But let's be honest, we don't have to be down on it just because yeah. we feel like we have to be. Like, it's not bad by any means. There are, yeah. there are some fucking bizarre choices, but they're only bizarre because we hold them up to the original. Yeah. There is there is nothing wrong with Vince Vaughn's portrayal of Norman other than it's not our Norman. I don't yes. think there's anything wrong with the character that's been created there. I think for what it is and, and especially putting it into that modern setting and giving modern audiences more of what they're used to masturbation things like that we are more graphic as a culture now okay uh, and you know we, we buy into that with the insert shots as well you get like the, the random shot of the cow and the naked lady and stuff like yeah. that so there's all of that in there there are choices that are made that we just hold up against the original and go no no they're wrong but they only feel wrong to us because we like the original that doesn't mean they're bad See any other remake or reboot, and I've said this I don't know how many times on all of our shows, with a reboot or a remake, if it looks like a choice that I'm not interested in, then I'll go, okay, thanks very much, that's not for me. I've still never seen the, the last Ghostbusters reboot. It's not for me. I'm not going to bother. Okay, that's just, but I'll watch the next one because that looks like it will be for me. Those are the choices that are made, and you like them or you don't, but don't shit on the film. If you don't like the choice, because that doesn't make it bad. And I think that's probably what happened on both sides of the fence there. You got yeah. one side of the fence going, there's not enough blood and this is rubbish. And, you know, also as well, for if you go in for the teen slasher audience, your cast is way too old. Yes. And actually the cast are a bit of a problem here. Um, let's let's dive into it. Let's try and go through because I, I'm sure we'll keep coming back to this general conversation as, as we yeah. go. Uh, but I do have some specific points, not many, but some. First and foremost, one of the things I hate most about this film is the weird score remix that you get just over the splash screens at the start. Yeah. Not over the credits, because the credits are fucking fantastic. The credits are awesome. But you get this weird little remix of the score over the yeah. splash screens. I, I just fucking hate it. I, I, I absolutely hate it. Um, yeah, but then I, so I had it on. I had it on um, when I was watching when I watched the start on Sunday. And I, I get complaints if I was like, I watch stuff in the living room, I turn all the lights off and I'll watch it on the TV and I get complaints. It's on too loud and it's disturbing everybody and all that bollocks, which is rubbish because I can hear them all snoring through the fucking ceiling. But I'll get complaints. It's too loud. So I'll fuck it. I'll put my headphones on because I'll be atmospheric as fuck. And anyway. your lights are off. Brilliant. And I thought there was a, I actually thought there was something wrong with my head. But I changed my headphones twice. Mm. It's terrible. Thought, isn't it? that's, just, that's not right. There's something wrong with that. It's not sounding right. And as soon as, soon as that ended and people started talking, I was like, Oh, right, okay. Three sets of headphones can't have been wrong. So it's either the problem with the version I've rented or it's supposed to be like that. No, it, it's just bad. And it, But just over the splash screen, once we're into the credits, once we're into the titles, it gets me just pumped because they are the psycho credits. That's what they are. Um, they're just like the originals, uh, but they're in colour. And, and, and this is one of the instances. There aren't many, but I think this is one of the instances where colour really adds to this because they're in these bright primary colors and and they're oversaturated as well either that yeah. or my tv was fucked no they, they are look... I, i've got um a hitchcock box set i bought years ago and it's, it's got all, all the films in it and they're, they're all in those really vivid colored um cases yeah for that reason because i mean it's 
the the overall box, the overall box set. It's, it's black and grey. It's all dour. It's all very traditional, and it looks for. But then you pull the films out. It's like, fucking hell, that was neon green. Yeah, and and that's exactly what we get with these these credits. Is this lime green color, and it really pops. The score. I mean, look, of all the things that have been redone, um, and, and ape in the original. I mean, it's no surprise because it's Danny Elfman. But the remix of the score is just. It's so on point, in yeah. my opinion. I think it's absolutely like the scorework is fantastic, like absolutely phenomenal. It's as good as it could possibly be. You know, it's it's essentially been remixed and remastered, yes. and it's 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 as good as it could be. Um, so that that's great. You know, the, the credits actually get me pumped. I'm watching it, going like, oh yeah, this is just like Psycho, and I'm and I'm geared up, and I feel like I'm watching Psycho. That's what I feel like. Um, and then. I don't know, we, we get this weird, then like instantly, as soon as we get into the, the picture of it, um, it just looks old. It just looks weirdly old. It, it does. But I think it fits you know, because, again, because um, all of the uh, um, uh, Marion is dressed as the way she, no, the way that, no, she was in the 60s. And all of the design looks at like, so the only thing that places it not in the 60s is the fact you get this big old text blurb, say 1998. Exactly, because all of the all of the buildings and the cars, everything, the, yeah, the production, even the coloration, and the grain, and stuff. Well, it's 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 oversaturated. The film itself is oversaturated. It looks like you're watching a bad VHS. Hmm. Now, I'm I'm watching it on. I'm not on Blu-ray. I'm watching it on DVD, right? But it's being upscaled from my Blu-ray player, and actually, it looks pretty fucking phenomenal. To be fair, it was a good DVD transfer. I'll say that for it. Um, but yeah, it's oversaturated. It looks like an old film now. That in itself, I'm like, look, if, if we're going to do this, if we're going to, this is one of the biggest problems for me. If we're going to update it, if we're going to do shop for shop, we're going to update it, then let's update it. Let's yes. make it like completely modern day. Let's not try and harken back with our production design and stuff. If it's 1998, let's make it 1998. Yeah. Because then you're at least transposing the story over to a modern era. It's passionate for a new audience. You can put in all sorts of new technology. Now, look, some of the story beats are not going to work with mobile phones. But, yes. you know, just use the classic. There's no signal. Whatever. Yeah, there's no signal. Your battery runs out. Fine. Fine. Okay. Or she ditches it because it's a burner or what? whatever. Yeah. Right. That's it. Fine. There are ways of doing it. I mean, I think the thing is that, again, this comes back to the fact of it not really knowing what it is. De- definitely. And, and we've, we've talked about this before. We've talked about this on a couple of shows whereby, say, things just don't quite fit properly. And it's like the effort has been made, but in the wrong areas. And I think that, I mean, the fact that you, you know you get this really old looking shot and then it, it flashes up with them big you no know, big fucking bold characters 1998 and then does something really again I, it bugs me when I see it because when it puts the date on there it doesn't just put the date it's whatever the something so it puts it in words yeah. and again because you do never see that so it, again it immediately makes it hang on why have they done that and I remember um, when we went to the the red state screening um, in Birmingham. Um, the, with the Q and A with Kevin Smith afterwards, there's a, a shot in there where they put the time in where John Goodman's character gets, gets a call and gets woken up, and it's the only time, the only point in the film you get a time card. Mm. And we, uh, in the Q and A afterwards, you say, "Well, what? Don't know. Anybody remember what time?" And a couple of a couple of different versions. You're like, "Yeah, you close. It was two thirty-eight or where it was." Why did I put that there? And everyone came up with all these you know, random reasons. Just, no, I just want to fuck with you. And that's what this feels like as well. It's just like it's there for no reason. It doesn't add anything. The fact that we know we know what date it is adds nothing to the film. Film school assholes coming out now. I think it adds tremendously to the film because it makes you th- it, it plays into it being a newspaper headline. It also gives you a time scale of Marion's disappearance. Um, it lets you know that time has moved on later on when we do our second act shift. 
So I'm I'm all for the date, but specifically I'm all for the date because it's like a newspaper headline. It's it's this day's news on this day of this date, uh, which is important for many reasons. One, because it's obviously a kind of pulpy serial trash thing, the type of thing you would read in the newspaper. And also because, of course, Marion does stash the money inside and, a newspaper. Yeah. And, and so, that, again, it's the fact, again, it's the fact that it's it's. It's the, the trophy thing, which you, I mean, it's probably because we expect it, but it doesn't carry through. And I think that's the, that's the problem I have with it is that you get it the once, and then we find out through dialogue later on that she went missing about a week ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, hang on. So why why, why bother you... with the date and all the rest of it if you're not going to follow through with that? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll 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 take that, but I, I like it. Um, and I, I, yeah, I like the fact that it places it very much as this kind of pulp newspaper kind of kind of deal, and and I always have. So yeah, but. I'll take that, that it doesn't come through later on. Um, one of the other things, I, I've skipped over it, actually, but I, I, we mentioned it briefly. As I'm watching the credits, the first thing that occurs to me, um, and, and we've said they're old, I know, but the first thing that occurs to me is, like, you look at this cast and you go, Jesus Christ, how how does this fail with this cast? Like, well, this is, yeah, I mean, this the, is... the cast they've got, I mean, you've got um, Vaughn's on the back swingers at this point, isn't he? Um and Hesh has just and Hesh and Vince Vaughn have just done something together, which I can't remember what it was. Um, so that, I mean, and that was something that sold really well. Will Mesh Macy's off the back of Fargo. This no, this is a big, a big fucking deal. This cast. Uh, Julianne Moore, who's well, just, straight off the back of Boogie Nights and fucking Oscar nomination. Plus, she's just Julianne Moore. Like, yeah, she wasn't really at this point, though, was she? I think that's the, yeah, that's but, the point. But no, I'm not. On a, I'm not on about in terms of this star wattage even. I'm just on about the. The level, like, look, whatever you think of Vince Vaughn and whatever his career has become since, there can be no doubt that he is an excellent actor, I think. I, yeah. I think he's superb, given the right material. Okay, William H. Macy is one of the best alive, if you ask me. Like, he's he's amazing. And Julianne Moore, likewise. So yeah. you, you look at this cast, and never mind whether they're megastars or not at this point, just the level of skill. Now, Anne Heche, questionable. Don't hate her. Don't love her either, though. Terrible yeah. choice for Marion. One of the worst things about this film. She is yes. just a terrible, terrible, terrible choice for Marion. Like, what was Nicole Kidman not available? Well, Probably. <laughs> was she too expensive? But even if that's the case, you've got Julianne Moore right there. Why? Yeah, I, I, I know it, not... it seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Why? Because again, it's not even like Anne Hayes is a megastar at this point. So it's not like you can even play it like Hitchcock and just go. They'll never expect a megastar to get it halfway through. None of them are particularly huge. Like no. they're all they're all famous by this point, but none of them are huge, as you say, by this point. So I don't understand Anne Hish. Um I don't. No, I, I don't either. So I'm trying I, to, I, there, I don't something... think she's terrible, but she just doesn't have. She doesn't have the same presence that Vivian Lee has. It's as simple as that. She just doesn't have yeah. the screen presence. I'm sorry, she doesn't. She, and, and the presence that she does have is completely different. She's she's yeah. too she's very mousy. She's quite small and wiry. Like she just she isn't it. <laughs> but again, yeah. that is me going. But that's not my Marion. Uh, so I know there's nothing wrong with her performance. In fact, she's uh, yeah, quite good, just, particularly was... when she's opposite Vince Vaughn. But I think that the, the the only bit I don't like with her. I mean, I don't mind her in any of it. But the bit I, that sort of doesn't sit right is when she's. When she's in the car and you've got also all the the, the overdubbed dialogue, no, the overdubbed uh, voices, and she's she's remembering this and she's imagining that, and she looks a little bit vacant. Yeah, and it it just it's it's almost like it's you no know, because there's nothing there's nothing going on in the car with her. She's obviously just been you know, been towed along and she's going to look interested, look thoughtful, look pensive, 
and she's she's kind of doing a smell the fart effort at times, and I think that's the bit that bugs me. Um, I mean the the bit in the hotel with Hugo Mortensen, I quite like. I don't know. I think, she, I think the two of them work very well together. Um, the bit his in the accent, office, I quite bro. like his fucking accent. Anytime he's on screen, I'm just like, oh, oh, Jesus, what is that? Yeah, that, that that that's growing up on classic Hollywood and watching shit and going, yeah, that's what Americans sound like. Yeah, that, I mean that's a fucking choice. That accent. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a but fucking I mean, choice. I, but I quite like the two of them. I quite like the the, the chemistry between them. I think that works well. I think the way she plays off the, the other woman in the office works quite well. Um, her, her response to the to the lecturer's client, I didn't really think was great. I, He's, thought, I mean, him in general, that's another one of those things where, like, yeah, that that character's always been lecherous and a bit unpleasant, but here, like. Jesus Christ, they're piling it on thick yeah. with him. He's horrendous. He's yeah. absolutely horrendous. Um, so, but yeah, so I mean, I, I think that she, of the principal cast, Anna H is certainly the weakest. Without but, a shadow of a doubt. But again, I think the problem is comparison because you end up comparing it to Vivian Lee. That's not right. No, it's not. Nothing about it is right. She, yeah, but, there's, but in, 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 in and of itself, there's nothing wrong. No, nothing It's at just all. kind of by the numbers, I guess. But I feel like if you're going to remake Psycho, look here, I joked about Nicole Kidman. I know you can't do it because we've just had Scream, okay? But if you're going to remake Psycho in this era, in this era, sorry, it's fucking Drew Barrymore, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. We're, without a shadow of a doubt. Now, look, the problem is Scream has done it. So yeah. they're like, well, we can't do that. But then it feels like they've then deliberately gone in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. I, and if, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's the experiment thing. Again, I don't know. But... Look, I, I'm trying not to sound like an arsehole here, but she's no bombshell, is she? This is just as simple as that. Yeah, <laughs> so. and I, I think, I mean, it's it's a very understated cast, though, isn't it? I mean, that, I think that's part of it, is that you don't want... I think if you had a massive name, you, you had a, a, a big screen name or some no, somebody who's known for being um, particularly glam, glamorous, particularly sexy, whatever, it's, it's going to detract from the overall product. And I think so. I think having a cast that's all kind of... On a similar level and at a similar sort of star power effect, no, there's there's nobody there who's jumping out and going, "Look at me, look at me, look at me." Apart from Vince Vaughn, um, yeah, but but, and that's, but that's in his performance, not in his in in him as as his name and him as as Vince Vaughn. So I think I can I kind of understand that, and everybody is okay, everybody's passable. It's just like it's not again through exposure to the, the original, it's not quite what I want. No, because it's not what you expect. You expect this huge movie star to get yeah. it in halfway through the second act. But whether, again, it's not down to the... I don't think it's even down to the star power of it for me. It's just her her energy just isn't right for me. As my, but that, see, that's my personal choice. I don't. She's not bad in this film whatsoever. Not at all. And I, and I don't... I don't want to sound down on her. It's just she's not Marion to me. Yeah. And um, this is something you're always going to have. I mean... I mean, we we talk about that one um, on Game of Moments as well, whereby people, you know, choices were made, people did the things that they did, and it's easy to say, "Oh, well, that's shit. I wouldn't have done that." Mm. But um, that's the position they were in. That's the direction they wanted to go with. And you, you've got kind of got you've got to, at some point you've got to let it go and say, "Right, okay, well, that's what they did." And yeah, you well, absolutely do. Yeah, and I mean, no people. I mean, people. I remember people at the time calling for this to you know, to be boycotted and all that sort of shit. It doesn't serve anything. The film's already been made, so all you're achieving, all you're achieving, is giving it more publicity by saying, "Well." Actually, we're not going to watch it, and nobody's going to watch it because then people go, "Well, fuck you! I'm going to watch it just because you told me not to." Um, so, I mean, I think that no, yes, okay, there there will possibly be other choices, but I think no, given what we've got, it's not it's not bad. And that's that's what I keep coming back to is that she doesn't, I, I she want doesn't to hate do, this. 
no, she doesn't do anything wrong for me. Uh, and, you know, she doesn't even... I think maybe this is what it is, actually, is her performance is quite safe. And, and that's fine. It, it's solid and it's safe. She doesn't make any weird choices like Vince Vaughn does. Yeah. You know, or like Viggo Mortensen is actually... She, she just plays it plays it safe. Yeah. Um, and I think she's probably the only one who does, actually. I think everybody else kind of go. Everybody else tries to bring something different to the character. Yeah, uh, with varying degrees of success, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lyle's we'll get... a lot more aggressive, which, you know, I mean, that, that's something that comes across quite well. I mean, the... best thing in the fucking film. I just, well, like, yeah. it, she, I mean, she was always going to be anyway, but her character in this, I, I actually think, is a definite improvement to the original. Yeah. Um, she, like I say, she's a lot stronger, a lot more aggressive, and I think that is to the film's credit. Yeah, and, and it's, it's quite telling, actually. So you get a lot, of, and it's, again, it's repeated from, from the original, where um, Sam, is, he's always putting his hands on her, he's putting his arms on her, his arm, and she's just, fuck off. Yeah. Whereas no, in, in the she was far more placid. She, you know, she, was, she wasn't quite so deliberate, quite so obvious when she was trying to shake him off. Whereas here, especially the bit where, so they check into the motel, and they, you know, um, Norman's watching them walk down that little fucking boardwalk thing they've got. And he puts his arm around her. She's a f- she turns her head to him. And he doesn't even have to say anything. And he's just like, right, okay. Yeah. Not touching uh, she's, she's great. She's great. But when is she not? Like, well, yeah, exactly. Fully paid up member of the Julie Moore fan club over here. Like, no no problems with her ever. So yeah. she's fucking great. Um, now, to go back to, to where we are in the film. Yeah, so she's got, she's got the money and stuff. Here is the point for me and it's one of the only points really in the film where, where i kind of sit back and go okay i get it we're doing this experiment and as we say I, i'm kind of on board with that but these are the points where as a storyteller now and as a filmmaker i'm watching it and going well if we're remaking this and we have the opportunity to change things up and to modernize it and make it better this is where i think people get wound up because they don't take those opportunities because look the, the voiceovers are fine in terms of Marion stealing the money. You know, they give us everything that we need. And like I said, the script is whip smart and it pelts along. So they move us along quickly where we just get those VOs from her explaining why she needs the money and just reminding us of the discussion she's had and things like that. All fine. But if you want to lengthen that runtime slightly and if you want to get, and especially with Anne Hesh playing it so safe as well, if you want to give us something to do, if you want to delve into the character, like we really could spend a little bit more time with Marion in the opening here and, yeah. and just get really get under her skin as to why she does what she does. Cause it is never really in, in either version. No, like we understand why she needs the money, but we don't really understand what, whether she's already a little bit deplorable or whether well, she really yeah. is just a, a good wholesome all American gal who's really desperate and so takes the money, which is always what's been implied and always the way the character's played. And it's fine. That comes through in both performances. But wouldn't it be nice to just get a little bit of background on her? Yeah, because, I mean, you it all it, no, it, it all comes no, from so, so story point. Of view, it all comes from um, the conversation she's having with Sam about the fact he's broken his being a hardware yeah. store. He can't, and that's so you get that. But then, as you said, no, most people don't have that reaction to no, yes or no we'd, we'd all love to be able to provide for our families and our loved ones and all the rest and we don't know if money wasn't an object yeah fine we all get that but what's no 99% of people don't go hmm my boyfriend needs money my job has $400,000 in a safe yeah hmm. that doesn't occur to most people so what what is it no what is it about her that goes yeah that'll be all right nobody care the guy's yeah. an arsehole anyway so fuck it let's do it there needs to be, no there needs to be either something in her character which we already know well we already suspect will make that decision or something in her character and her interaction with that dill hole who goes 
ah, oh, fuck it. There's, no, he, there's a switch that flicks, and she goes, fuck it. He's a cunt anyway. He doesn't need. He doesn't deserve this money. People who are working harder and all the rest of it, they need this money to survive. This idiot is just being a twat. Yeah, there, there is definitely something more that be that can be explored. There is to say, we don't need it. I, I don't feel like we need it at all. All the information we need is here. Everything works absolutely fine. Mm. We don't need it, but we've got the opportunity. So yeah. why don't we take it? I, I mean, I think understand. I think part of it's conditioning as well because I think that if if this film hadn't been made. In the 1960s, if the original hadn't been made in 1960, the original, mm-hmm. yeah, and then this film hadn't been made in 1998, and somebody pitched this now. Aside from the fact that, you know, given all the horrors and shit we've had since, this is very tame. It's you know, it, it's not a traditional slasher. It's a, it's more of a thinker. You wouldn't accept this first act as being complete because you think, hang on, there's there's not enough work to flesh out the character because of everything we've had you know, in the last 30, 40 years. You wouldn't accept this now. No. And I think that, and as you said, there's nothing wrong with it. Everything we need, everything we need is here. It's just we become accustomed and we've become programmed to expect a bit more. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you're right, and, and it's, it is that time difference thing, and it has moved on. You know, I mean, don't forget as well. The original had two credited writers. Now it would have about seven. Yeah. You know, you had you had based on the book by Robert Block, yeah. and then it was written by Joseph Joseph. Stefano, Stefano, yeah, Stefano, yeah. Um, two writers. Whereas you know now you'd have about seven, and at least one of them would sit around in a writer's room and go, "I think we could do with a little bit more info on Marion there." Now that Let's might be fair, make most the... writers' room now would be say, "I think we need more boobs." Probably because uh, yeah. Now now that might actually slow the film down, and it, and it might be that actually it weakens the pace, but. Narratively, I'm just looking at it thinking, do you know what I do here? I'd probably throw in a little bit more. And I'm not talking like hours and hours. I'm just talking about a few, just let's get under the skin slightly. Yeah. Uh, but look, what's here is fine. As I say, this this screenplay is fucking is exceptional. The, the, yeah, this, the I mean, there is, is no fat on this at, no. at all. No, none at all. None at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I've already talked about Anne Hesh. Don't dislike her at all. Um, but she's just got a weird energy. Um, Vince Vaughn, though. Like, yeah. Look, I I like I like Vince Vaughn. As I said, I, I like him. Um, Swingers again, one of my favorite films. Love it. Think he's amazing in it. Okay. Um, to start with, he is just far too big and imposing. Far, far, far too. Like, don't get me wrong. Anthony Perkins is not small, but he, but he had was, a he, way he of was, carrying himself. I was going to say he was a far more reserved character. He was a far more reserved individual. The character and, was far more. Yeah, um, but look, you look at his body language. Even Vince yeah. Vaughn's getting the, the stuff out of the trunk, and he's fucking lumbering along with the cases and stuff. Yeah. Whereas Andy Perkins, he's got he's got the hunched shoulders, and he leans into it a bit, and he he makes himself small and meek yeah. and mild. Whereas Vince Vaughn doesn't really do that. He tends to go for more kind of facial tics and nervous laughs and, and that fucking laugh. Oh, I know. I mean, that was at that point, I'd forgotten about that. Um, and I, the first time he did, I said, What the fuck was that? Yeah, it's. it's I mean, mean it's again, a it's a choice. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it's a choice. It's something. I, I do think, to be fair, I mean, so the, the, the principal cast, they have all gone and said, Right, okay, this is, no, this is the script, and the script's not changing. I think there, no, there have been minor tweaks to it as they've gone through, but this, so this is this is what I've no, this is what's been written. So I need to bring something to this character to make it work, mm-hmm. and obviously that's what he thought worked. Um, obviously, Van Sant thought it worked as well because he allowed it. But for me, again, and I don't know whether it, it is the unfair comparison to the original, or whether it just doesn't fit because I think that. It just seems a bit too manic and a bit too. I mean, 
everything, no, everything about um, Norman Bates is that fact that he's very calm, he's very reserved, he's very still, very no, he's very forgettable. Mm. And Vince Vaughn's Norman Bates isn't. He's no, such a fucking he's... character. He's, he's, he's flamboyant in the way he dresses with the fucking Hawaiian shirts and all that. Stuff. Yeah, you can't easily forget him. He doesn't blend into the background. No, he's a big dude. He has big actions, but also he's loud. And when or when he's trying to lie, he's so unconvincing. He makes a. Sh- he make. It's not even as if he has a tell. He just might as well have a big fucking neon flashing sign. He's I'm, got. I, it's, it's got this weird nervous energy in yeah. his performance. And again, like that's a choice that he's made and Van Zandt's allowed him to lean into it. Um, but that energy is off for Norman. Yeah. And again, you know, this is I don't think his performance is bad. He definitely creates a character. If yeah. this character wasn't called Norman Bates and this wasn't was, Psycho, was he'd say, be I think, quite a convincing serial killer. Yeah. I mean, if you had a similar script, which wasn't word for word, and you had a similar short list... And you had this cast, this director going, right, we're making a slasher film. It's in the vein of Psycho. It's a thinker rather than a shower. This is what we're going to do. And you go off and you put that on screen. And this guy's called Borman Nates. That'll fucking yeah. do. Yeah, I don't care. Do. That'll do because it's not trying to be Psycho. Because, again, I don't hate what he does. I don't hate his yeah, performance. It's, it's, it's just, just not wrong for the material. Yeah, and, it, and it's... Again, I don't think this is even about him not being my Norman Bates. He just feels like he doesn't fit with the material because he is so suspect and so suspicious. Like I said, he's got this weird nervous energy, you know, and we just talked about him carrying the suitcases when Marion arrives. But even when we get to the parlor scene later on, like it's as if he tries too hard when I mean, Marion's not pushing his buttons. And that that's the key to the original as well is is he doesn't get riled up easily. Like you say, he's calm and he has almost this kind of just easy kind of, he puts you at ease. He's got this kind of just calm, meek, mild sort of manner to him. Whereas Vince Vaughn just seems to kind of try and lean into the darkness of it. Every opportunity he gets, he's like a fucking, he goes from the nervous laugh and the energy and, and everybody needs his mother and stuff like that to all of a sudden turning it on a, on a dime and just being like, I'm a fucking psychopath and I'm going to rip your head off kind of thing. Yeah. And, he, and he just pushes and he, you can see it on his face. He's pushing that anger back down. Now, again, if that's what that character and that performance called for, he does it well, Yeah. but it's not, you know, and, and the really weird thing is that Vince Vaughn is naturally charming. Yes. Like, like we say, he is just a naturally charming guy. He's got that movie star quality about him, or in my opinion, he does anyway. Um, he's got that kind of real, just every man kind of kind of charm to him. So lean into that. Just just lean into that. We don't have to take it to some weird dark place. Yeah. You know, just just lean into that. But he yeah. doesn't. It, it, it's it's really fucking off. If if nothing else, this really does prove the importance and the power of performance. Yeah. It really does, because the same material is interpreted so different here. Yeah. Um, it, it's quite interesting, actually, because I'm thinking, I'm thinking about as we're talking that um, Freddie Highmore's portrayal in, in Base Motel, it kind of sits between the two. Okay. And so for the most part, no, he is very, he's a sullen child. He's quiet. You know, he doesn't have a great lot of friends. They move around a lot. So he's, he's always an outsider, all this sort of stuff. So he, he is very quiet. He's very reserved. He's very meek and mild mannered. He's very subservient to his mother. And that side of the character is fine. But then, he has these blackouts and he goes into these fucking colossal rages, which very much suit the sort of the manic energy that Vince Vaughn has. Mm. And it's quite interesting trying thinking about it, trying to see where it fits. And it's almost like a sliding scale between the two. It's like no, they're they're either end of it. And he just goes a lot, no, he just sort of kind of moves around it. So it's interesting that 
the, the, this take of, of Norman Bates has actually informed part of that as much as the original. And obviously, yeah. I mean, obviously they've, they've written it for that because obviously they've, they've kind of gone, right, okay, well, these things, are, one is psycho and the other one's also psycho. So we kind of have to treat them the same. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they, they've, they've written it in, in that way to accommodate both. It's quite an interesting juxtaposition. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, quite, it's quite a balancing act, actually. Because it is a totally different character. It's it's weird. And like I said, I don't think either is wrong. No, um, I just think, <coughs> excuse me, this one doesn't fit. Now, it might fit in the show, but it, it doesn't fit this material because no. it, everybody should be suspect of him. Um, I, it's just really, really odd. I mean, you, you talked about um, Universal Studios briefly earlier, as, as regular listeners will know, I'm a huge theme park nut. Uh, and uh, once we're all allowed out again, I'll go back to attending theme parks at Halloween every year, like I do. Um, so I'm a regular attendee of things like Halloween Horror Nights. And a couple of years ago, I did the one in Hollywood. Now, as part of their tram tour, you get off in front of the Psycho House and you go and get your photograph taken with Norman Bates. Now, I'd spent 90% of my night by this point being chased around by fucking chainsaw-wielding clowns and they had a poltergeist house and things like that. Everything was full-on, in-your-face scary. And you get to the psycho house and you go and pose for a photo with Norman. And I swear to God, it was the closest I came to shitting my pants all night. Because he's so calm and collected and just there is genuine menace in how nice he is. And that yeah. is the character to me. Yeah, and that's, that's the, the character so that you need to fit in here. Yes, he is disarming. So we, we had a photo taken with him, myself, my wife, and, and like we had no idea what he was doing because he was behind us. Other than he was leaning into Sarah and whispering things in her ear, um, which was which was quite and like. But again, in quite a nice kind of weird, softly spoken way. Yeah. Then the photo comes back, and he stood behind both of us with a knife over our heads. No fucking idea the dude was doing this. None, <laughs> absolutely none. Okay, but that's Norman Bates, not. This yeah. this is chasing you around with the chainsaw. Yeah, th- this is fucking um, American Psycho level. Yes. Uh, no shit, shit I was reading. So yeah, it, it, I mean that's a choice. I mean, yeah, I, I, again, I'm not on board with it because for, for for that reason, it doesn't fit with the material. It doesn't fit with what's what's been written. No, no, I I agree. And um, because and there's so many the things I can't get on board with. Yeah, um, but like I said, I I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it fits. Um, yeah. And and then then there's the wanking. Um, yeah. Of all no, the I mean, things we could add, you know, of all the things we could add to this, why masturbation? Well, this is, this not is very thing. often you're going to hear that sentence <laughs> come out of my mouth, is it? Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole thing, and, and again, it's one of those, uh, I mean, I remember seeing it in the cinema and thinking, why is he doing that? He doesn't do that. That, that didn't happen in the original. It's something that it doesn't elevate, it doesn't escalate, it doesn't add anything. But the thing that struck me most, and this is really fucking weird, the thing that struck me most is that he's jacking it while she's just fucking walking around. She's not even doing anything. The thing he's not that seeing struck anything. me most, the thing that struck me most, and this says a lot about us, because one is that, but two, he doesn't fucking finish. <laughs> like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do this, well, yeah, you need, you need to go, don't you? Commit to it, for fuck's sake. But just, yeah, I mean, it's, he gets yeah. it out. But I mean that, that was the thing and I I remember watching going, okay, well, I don't see the reason for that. I mean the whole thing and it's not it's not just in cycle. A lot of Hitchcock's ways, a lot of it's about looking, a lot of it's about voyeurism. And this isn't about looking, this is about gratification, which is an entirely different thing. This this is the thing, isn't it? Because yes, I feel like Hitchcock would have handled that much better. And yes, the voyeurism is there in the original. 
but it's actually more menacing because he's not jacking because off. He's because he's not because doing again, anything. The act of jacking off pushes him back into that dark, overtly psychopathic place where all of a sudden now he's he's kind of got this sociopathic element to him where he can't be around people because he doesn't know how to react to them. He's going to yeah, start. Jacking I mean, the, off. the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing with um, with Anthony Perkins is that. You know, you wouldn't suspect anything. You, know, you so you don't, you when you've met him so far, he's just a bit fucking weird and a bit creepy. And yeah. I, and up until this point, yeah, Vince Vaughn is you no know, Vince Vaughn's baits are just fucking nuts. But you think, well, he's just that. You know, if you came into this not knowing what the film was, and I think that's that's a big thing as well. If you came into this cold, okay, he's weird, he's creepy, probably some sort of learning affectation because everything's got to have a reason now. So they give him that. They're given some sort of disorder, some sort of problem. And you won't think anything of it until then you see him doing that. Mm. Whereas with Anthony Perkins, yes, okay, he's still looking through a fucking peephole into the bathroom, but actually it's no, it's far more fucking sinister. And you think, well, hang yeah. on, that's a, that's a choice that character is making. Whereas for Vaughan, it's like because of the way he's been portrayed thus far, you think, well, there's something fucking wrong with him. Yeah, so definitely. of course he's doing that. Of course he's having a wank because why not? So it, yeah, it's. Apart from being really fucking skeezy, it's just one of those that, does, again, it just doesn't fit with what, what they're trying to do. Yeah, and what it does as well is, again, especially if you're coming into this cold, and that, and that's an interesting way to look at this, because I'm sure a lot of people were coming into it cold, being released in 1998. Not everybody's a fucking film nerd like me. So I'm sure a lot of people are going into it cold. And you have to remember that we don't have the wattage, say, of Janet Lee, who's about to get it in the shower. Okay, so... When, I, when you look at the face of this, one of the biggest names, as you've already pointed out, is Vince Vaughn. So you're going into this film called Psycho. And yes, he's a bit unhinged, but he's also talking a lot about Mother. And, and of course, the duality of, of Norman and Mother is, is the whole purpose of, of the thing. But at this point, up until he's wanking, you could be sort of going down the path of, well, he's not the psycho. He's just got a weird relationship with his mother and she's overbearing and she's the one that we need to be scared of and he's just being controlled. And actually, with, with Andy Perkins' portrayal, even though it's more sinister when he removes the picture, because it's it's kind of innocent in that he doesn't wank, again, you kind of lean into, like, that's mother's controlling influence and things like that. He doesn't know how to be around women, which is a big part of Norman's character. Whereas here, he, he clearly does know how to be around women because he just starts beating off like yeah. yeah he's an arsehole but he knows what he's supposed to do with the woman so yeah. it, it just it pushes him straight away into the mantle of oh okay so it's him yeah and and they they really double down on that with the fact that it like here's the thing with the shower scene this is the scene if anything like look it's cinematic masterpiece we all know that the shower scene as as far as as montage goes and everything as well it's 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 revered and so it should be but it was made, by the time this comes out, it was made nearly 40 years ago. Okay, yeah. It's now even more than that. This can be improved and yeah. should have been improved because what they do is make it worse. And there's a few ways they do that. First and foremost, because this is being lit now in colour with different cameras as well, yeah. it is clear, absolutely clear, that Mother is not an old woman. It is clear that it is Vince Vaughn in makeup. You see the fucking eyes, for Christ's sake. Yeah. So that's that's bad to start with because it removes all the shock value. You can see it's a bad wig. You can see the eyes. Yeah. Then some of the shots, you get a pass for, for the fact they're in the 60s and they're black and white. Like 
when when the knife is is you get the close-ups of the knife going into the stomach even in the original if you watch the knife clearly doesn't connect yeah okay but you you give it a pass it's 60s it's a quick cut it's yeah. black and white everything's fuzzy here you can clearly see the knife just going past the stomach in the foreground it yeah. looks fucking terrible it does and, and again i mean talking about what we were talking about earlier no we've had scream we've even though going back as far as halloween and stuff like that this shit is stuff they've worked out how to do now and look, if you're selling this to teenagers... Yeah, this needs to look fucking convincing. Yes, like, look, nobody's going to fucking kick off if you add a bit of gore here. Like, we're just not. Like, And look, let's, let's face it, you could recreate the shower scene faithfully. Mm. It's never going to be as good. Yeah. So, I mean, the black and white... Else. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, actually, because, I mean, you look at it, and most things you look at it and say, well, black and white is no... It, it, it. Generally, people who have grown up with color will think, "Well, it's no, it's inferior because color makes makes it clearer, makes it sharper, makes it more vivid, and all that." Stuff. Actually, black and white makes it fucking more atmospheric. Yeah, or completely. It's, you you forgive a lot more because where you have shadows from from your lighting, that no, you, you tend to accept that more. We have a bit of grain, you have no, all, all these sort of things. You think, okay, well, fair enough, because at the time it would have been down to technology. Now you say no. Now you'd look and think, well, that's a choice. It's clearly been done for a reason. Whereas when it's as crisp and as fucking clean and as clear as this one is, you that's, that's there's the no problem. there's no hiding place. No, that's when you problem. get things wrong, you can't get away from it. I, I, black and white. Um, I mean, it, it's it's black and white. It, it's very clearly defined. Um, but what you do then is lose nuance in your definition. So things like mother's face, for instance, in black yeah. and white. Yes, you could see the eyes, but it's black and it's eyes and yeah. it's and it's hair. And Whereas if it's, here, and it's dark enough, you can't know. You can't make yeah. out enough of the detail. Whereas here we're in full color, and you can make out enough detail. So it just doesn't fucking work. I'm sorry, the shower scene doesn't work. Like all the beats are there; they do the right yeah. things. The score is right. All the shots are there. It's all right. It's just doesn't fucking work. Yeah, um, no, I, I I do think um, when when Vince Vaughn comes back in, I think it's probably his best moment in the film. I think he yeah. does a very good fake wretch. Um, yeah. Very good, very convincing. Um, you know, his his whole mother, oh god, mother, what have you done? He's very good at this point. Like he feels like he's got the character here for yeah. this one scene. He feels like he's he's kind of channeling Perkins, but he's very very good. Yeah, and I think um, the again the difference that when he's on his own as opposed to when he's in company, again that that tells, and I think that he does he does some very good work when he's not trying to react to people or why he's not having his character react to people because he doesn't have to put on this affectation, this fucking giggle and the fucking you know the yeah the, 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 the pseudo shy bit because yeah no that's something he hasn't got he can worry about being the character and doing what the character is doing so like for example for when, so when arbogast comes later and he's or when sorry when sam comes and he's calling for arbogast and and uh base is busy chucking him in the lake because he hasn't got to interact with him his response to his you know his, his reactions are great mm. his, his expressions are great his movement is great but then you put him in a scene where he has other people in it and it's like the character just goes, "Oh, I'm a clown. I've got to be a clown now." His his scenes with Arbogast are awful, and and it's not William H Macy's fault. I think he's actually excellent as Arbogast. Um, again, makes a choice, goes full on gumshoe. Yeah. Um, I like it. Like yeah, what he does. Well. I think think he's really good. You know, he, he does what he needs to do. Um, I you know, and especially the kind of the gentle sort of picking at, at the book and stuff like that. I think he pulls that out really well. But it's in it's in Norman's reaction to that, that the scene starts to fall apart. Yeah. Um, because like you said, you can read him like a book. It's not so much a tell as a big flashing fucking neon light, light that says I am lying. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually before that was an interesting point, actually thinking about it. So when we were, we were talking earlier on about 
when he when he's bringing the bags in, he's all fucking jocular and jovial, you know, giving it the shoulders and everything else. When he's pa- when he's packing her into the car, he's putting her case and he chucks the money, you know, he chucks the paper with the money and all. So he's not doing it then. It's no, it's almost like he's putting on a show. Yeah, and so there's too much made of that. I mean, obviously, no, it's all a show anyway. But th- there's too much made too much of that. Made. It feels to me, um, like I'm not I'm not like a real serious true crime person, but I know I know a little bit, and I, and I listen to podcasts, same as the rest of us. Um, but it feels to me, I don't know how much you know uh, about uh, about the, the actual real person and history involved as such. I don't know how much you know about Ted Bundy, but it feels to me like he is very much channeling Ted Bundy in this performance. Like yeah. he's going for it because because Bundy was was renowned as this huge, athletic, charming man um, yeah. who was who was able to disarm women easily because he was so charming. But he was just slightly off. Um and it really feels to me, especially when you hear tapes of Bundy and there are them as well, yeah. even the voice and the vocal affectations, it feels to me like he's he's decided he's going to play Norman Bates as Ted Bundy. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Did you see the, uh, I can't remember what it was called, the, um, the Zac Efron um, thing where he was playing Bundy last year or the year before? I didn't, know. That has a very similar energy, actually. Um, there you go. I, and that's what it feels like. It feels like he's trying to play Ted Bundy to me. Hmm. Um, again, it's a choice, and, and it's it's good, but it's not Norman Bates. It's Ted Bundy. Yeah, different thing. Uh, well, not massively different, if we're honest. But in the performance, mm. so so yeah, we we've talked about Arbogast. We've already talked about Julianne Moore, but like the second she shows up, I'm just like, yeah. she's a fucking, she's amazing. She's such a badass in this film. Yeah. Um, love her, absolutely love her to bits. Weirdly, though, by the time she does show up, and you know, we're going through the scrubbing of the bathroom and, and the ditching the car and stuff like that, and this is the only real negative thing I think I've written here, but again, it, it just it, it gave me pause. I had to stop and think at this point because I realized actually I was starting to drift. Hmm. I was a little bit, I was a little bit bored, I was starting to drift out of it a little bit. That I can honestly say in. I don't know how many rewatches. I honestly couldn't tell you how many times I've seen Psycho. Mm. Um, I have never, ever, ever been bored. Yeah, I, I had the same thing. So I mean, I, as I said, I I started it quite late on Sunday because we were do um, we were watching it on TV. So the time that finished, and then we got all the usual shit on getting them getting the kids stuff ready for school and all that sort of stuff. I didn't start it till eleven o'clock. And yeah. by the time I got to the shower scene, I was like, right, okay, I need to go to bed now. Yeah. And, had this been the original, I would not have done that. Even though oh. I've seen it about a, bazillion, no, about a billion times, I'm no, it's I've seen it probably at least three times a year. Yeah, you know, it's I would no, I would never dream of turning that off. Me either. It captivates point, me every yeah, time I watch it. At this point, Anne Hesh falls over. You see her asshole, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna bet you did it. Damn it! Look, I got all the way through the shower scene without <laughs> mentioning her fucking asshole, and you just had to throw it in there, didn't you? Well, she did. So yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I, mean, I, I I got to that point. Um, uh, Bates comes in, starts cleaning up, and I, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to bed. And I just couldn't. I was like, I didn't mind, and I I hate. I, I, I if I can avoid it, I never do. If I, if I fall asleep watching a film, I will go back and watch it from the point I fell asleep at. But I will never think right. I'm in the middle of a film. I'm going to bed. Yeah. Never, ever, 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 ever. But I did because of that. Right, she's dead. I've done the shower scene, and the good stuff is about to pick up. So I'm going to bed and I'll watch it tomorrow when I'm less tired. Ironically, last night I didn't start it till gone midnight. And you managed to make it through to the end. And I made it through with no problems whatsoever. And it's the worst half of the film as well. Not that either half is bad, hmm. but I, I always feel like this is the, the back half of the film is not as strong as the front half of the film. I, I always the problem with the back half is that the front, the front half is so loaded. Yeah. The back half moves too quick. 
Yes, yeah, he did. But again, so every, that's, everything, that's after, everything after the shower scene just goes along at far too much of a clip. There's, the pace is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, that's because it's just so fucking short. Uh, you get you get everything you need, but yeah, it would be nice to maybe get an Arbogast a bit better before he fucking takes a tumble down the stairs. Now, again, like when we get to Arbogast's death, yeah. why alter Arbogast's death but not Marion's? Like, yeah. why, why not make more of the shower scene if you're going to make more of Arbogast's death? Yeah. Like with it, I mean, look, you get the insert shots with with Marion as well, but they're after the fact. Yeah. Like whereas with Arbogast, they they front load him a bit. So why bother? Why why? I, I don't get it. And what what is it with those inserts? I don't like, know. I've, but... I've every time I watch it, I'm like, what are you trying to tell us? Yeah. What, I, like, I've never worked they, that out. They just seem so random. I don't know whether they're meant to be kind of subliminal flashes of Norman's mind because he's got know. kind of maybe the butchery element of the cows, and then obviously you've got the naked blonde lady. Yeah, I mean, what, tell you what they're reminding me of is, and I won't mention names because it would be unfair, but do you remember when we were finishing at film school and we had our that screening of all of the, the, the final films, and one of our um, cohort, it was a very avant-garde film he did, but he had fucking sheep running backwards up a hill and all this. It reminds yes. me of that. It's that sort of aesthetic whereby you think, okay, well, it looks kind of interesting, but what's the point? Yes, yeah, that's why I get out of it as well. Why Why is that there? Yeah. And and it, this sort of thing really bugs me. You know, if if I had a fucking penny for every time on these shows, I say where there's choice, there's meaning. I'd fucking, and I'm aware it, again, makes me sound like a film school wanker, I know. But it's true. So we could have put anything in here or we could have put nothing in here. Why this? Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I don't see the point in adding anything in here. No, that's what I'm saying. If you're not going to do it all the way through, yeah. Why put these? And there's only four fucking cutaways in the whole film. These yeah. four random insert shots where we cut away from from the action. And it's like, what? Why? What? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, even even if you think, okay, well, there's a point to it, or they're trying to convey this, or there's this explanation for it, this rationale for it, but nothing fits. There's no reason for any of it. No, none. Uh, it's just. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. If if it came to him, we asked the filmmaker. I'm sure he'd tell us there was a reason. I. I fucking googled this because it, it bugged me and knowing we were like it's always bugged me but never yeah. enough that I've gone and researched it but knowing we were doing the show as well I was like I've, I've got to fucking know can't find any reason why why those inserts are there no no concrete reason anyway um, no I mean I've done more research than I normally do um, this week um, again trying to find stuff like that why why is that choice being made why is that being done um so, I mean, yeah, there, there are things of like that. One thing we've skipped over, actually, it's um, quite interesting. So be, um, before Argus gets there, we get the bit where um, he moves Mother to the basement. Yeah. And he's running up the stairs. Yeah. That is America's ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty blatant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole... It, I mean, I mentioned earlier on about his fucking rock parody costume with the jeans and the fucking turtleneck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, where he's just running up and the fucking everything's so tight, and you think, why the fuck? Because it, it's not when he's wearing it when he's downstairs in the fucking office. It's not that it's not all fucking tight and breathing, and all of a sudden he's running up the stairs. So, oh, okay, then so I'm looking at Vince Vaughn's ass. I mean, fine, yeah, <laughs> fine. Don't get me wrong; no it's a decent ass, but yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with it. We've already seen Anne Hayes's asshole, so may yeah. as well, you know. Why not? Equal opportunities and all of that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that was something that did strike me. And yeah, so like in, in this back half, like I very, I, I very little to actually criticize in the back half. Like we've talked about the performances from from Vince Vaughn and Anne Hesh, which is which is the majority of the front half of the film, and it's those two performances 
that really stand out to me as being yeah. so different. Whereas I, th- I think the other performances just work better for me. Yeah. So they carry this back half, I think, a little better. Um, it, it does feel very much like the original. Investigate in the house, I think Julianne Moore does excellent scully work there. Yeah. Like just really, really good stuff with her running around the house. Um, the reveal in the basement, I think, is handled really. It's all just handled really well yeah. here. Um, I actually think Vince Vaughn is pretty good as well when he's when he's in the room with Sam and he's like because here it calls for him flying off the handle. Yeah. And so it, this is where like if he'd have subtly built to this point for the whole film, this is yeah. where all of a sudden you go, oh, he's a fucking psychopath. Oh, okay. Shit. Again, the one thing that made me laugh with that scene though, so they're in the office and he's you no know, he, clearly Sam is trying to distract him and delay him and all the rest of it. And he gets a golf club. Now, these golf clubs were shown earlier on, right? Yeah. We've not seen hide in a hair of a fucking golf course the entire movie. No. But he happens but... on a set of clubs just lying there. I but mean, there's bric-a-brac all over the place, though. Yeah. So... It's, I mean, presumably it's stuff that's been left there over the years because you know, everybody leaves stuff in motels. Who would notice they left their golf clubs there? And also, you know, just to point out again, film school wanker, it's, it's this type of thing, um, which is why I love Psycho. You know, like, yes, we saw the golf clubs earlier. You didn't yeah. even think twice about seeing that golf club earlier, did you? There's nope. Chekhov's gun, people, in yeah, action. But done properly. Yeah, yeah, done. It's, it's, done not, and it's not like the exactly rifle in the Winchester, is it? No, it's it's deployed properly. It's when you see it originally, it's just like, oh, we're looking around Norman's office. Oh, look, he's a golfer, it just, and, and it and, just washes straight over you. And that's the only washes up because it's such a quick shot as well. And then you focus on like the fucking taxidermy and stuff like that, which is, which is inherently more weird, and we associate that with being weird and slightly macabre and stuff like that. So you completely forget about the golf clubs. However, the bit that makes me laugh is he takes a swing. Sam clearly ducks out the fucking way. Yeah, but then all of a sudden, Bates is running up to the house. Yeah, it, it, there's a very quick, uh, yeah, there's a very quick cut there, isn't there? Yeah. Like, so the, it, the time doesn't make sense. He either needs to hit him or they need to have a fight. Yeah, again, that's one of those things where, like, you can improve this if you want. They can have yeah. a fight. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna criticize you for putting a fight in there. No, that's it. You, even if it's only you know, five seconds, where yeah. they're taking to overcome it. Well, actually, he connects with the golf club, but he just, no, you watch him, no, you see him fall to the floor. Yeah, you're not. That's not cheating. No, no, not at all. Like, it, I love the original dearly. It, it is, it is as close to a perfect film as as I could I could pull out as an example in my eyes. Okay, but it is as close to a perfect film. There is no such thing as perfect. Everything can be improved upon. We have time, technology. We have all of these things now that weren't available to Hitchcock in the sixties. Yes. Who's to say? That if Hitchcock couldn't have done it, he wouldn't have had a big fucking three-minute fight in the middle here. Had he had the right cameras to be able to shoot it and had he had the technology that he needed, he certainly would have done the opening shot differently. We know that. He's gone on record and said so. Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is one of the things that crosses into some of my other interests as well, being a theme park nerd. You know, we theme park community goes up in arms, especially the Disney community, whenever they do something new to a ride because it's going against Walt's legacy and things like that. And it's like, look, time fucking moves on yeah things can be improved you have to let the past be the past you may not like it but other people will yeah so look we have the means try it as long as it means something as long as it adds something whether people like what you add or not do it why not yeah you know why not you're right um but yes i mean i mean talking about the uh, the scene with julianne moore at the house i think that's all brilliant i think she she handles that very well um 
I said no shot no shot wise it all t- kind of tallies with what we had before there aren't many changes to that um and yeah it all works really well the, the reveal of his bed his childhood bedroom and stuff like that you know that's all really well handled as well I think that in uh in the original way no, all the stuff in the house it looks a lot more against the black and white makes it a lot more atmospheric because it's very much shadows and contrasts you know it's not as vivid was actually having the vivid colours here of the fucking um, the ch- the child's bedroom and the toy soldiers and the fucking giraffe cuddly thing on the bedpost. All that sort of really adds to it. It really does sort of make everything jump out at you. I agree. I, I thought that as well. This is one of those points where, yes, the lighting's more atmospheric in black and white, but this is where the extra detail really helps because your eyes are scanning that room because we're, we're trained to do that now as as, yeah. as horror observers because we're like where's mother gonna jump out from yeah so you're scanning every and, and the one thing that always stands out to me is the bed yeah. um because you can really see the indentation in the bed yes in, yeah the indentation in her bed and then in, in yeah his bedroom then where it's no it's uh, her bed is clearly being used a lot because you've got the indentation but it's it's made and it's pristine his the child's bed yeah. Hasn't been made that morning. Yeah. And though you've got this fucking six foot five bloke. Yeah. In a fucking kid's bedroom playing with toy soldiers with a fucking fluffy giraffe in the corner. Yeah, exactly. And it's so, it's incredibly creepy. And at this point you're thinking, fuck at this point, obviously you've worked out what's going on, but you're like, fucking hell, you know, this is if if I was seeing this in a new in a, in a new film, not when I knew what was going on, but a, a new horror now, I'm thinking, fuck, this fucking 40 year old bloke is still a child. Yeah. And that no, that's ringing alarms then, and that's what this, this is supposed to do. Yeah, definitely. I, I I think the house all works really well. In fact, I think the the back fifteen minutes all works really well. I think the the most improved thing in the entire film actually is when, I mean, look the the wrap up is the wrap up. Never particularly liked it, but again, yeah. does what it needs to do. Yeah. Um, again, it's one of those things where we don't have the character information. We could have that here, but instead yeah. we go straight for the wrap up. Don't dislike it. Works fine. Like I say, script is tight. It works. Gives us all the information. So it is what it is. On we go. Um, But the final shot, um, the superimposition of Mother's face over Norman's works so much better here in colour. Yes. And it's so much clearer. And it's it's fucking horrific. Like the the skull is truly horrific here. Um, It's look. look, It depends what you want to go for. Again, it's very very subtle in the original, and it and you almost kind of gets this mortis grin on his face and yes. you can barely even see the skull whereas here it is very fucking clear oh yeah but it absolutely. is lined up very well and it's fucking creepy as all hell yeah um, and, and I, again i, I think that's the I benefit of the technology i think yes. that no i think they were able to do it so much more effectively now whereas obviously doing it before they've had to over, overlay from the, with with the negatives and stuff they would have been a lot harder process yeah. By the time you got to this, I mean this, I mean this would have been shot on film and then digitized and done on fucking Avid or something like that. So it's a lot easier to then get that, and you can tinker with it until you get it right. And again, horses for courses, you know. I'm I'm sure for me saying personally, I feel like this shot is a hundred percent improvement. Now there'll be a million others like me who go, no, 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 we like the original. It's subtle. Yeah. It's only subtle because the technology wasn't there, though, isn't it? Let's be yeah, honest. Exactly. As I was just saying, you know, that yeah. and, and it, it's a happy accident that it looks as creepy and as subtle as it does. Yes, but that's a necessity because of the technology at the time, because it would have had to have been double exposed there at the time. Whereas here, as you say, we can tinker with it till our fucking hearts content, and it looks yeah. fucking horrifying. Yeah, for those of you on YouTube, I may have just done it to Chris in the edit. Uh, if you do, send it to me so I can have a look. Uh, you've just set yourself a fucking challenge now, haven't you? So I've got nothing, nothing better to do all week. It's fine. 
Yeah, I mean, if you can't do that, just superimpose Anne Heche's asshole over my face. Is it? No, 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 no. I don't, no, no, I don't want that. Nobody wants Anne Heche's asshole on their face. No, definitely with Seth Ellen. No, uh, not anymore. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <Hey>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, you're right. I mean, I mean, coming back to it as well, I mean, the, the layout of the house, obviously the, the house was established in, in the original, but the the, the coloration, especially the going back to base mortality, they they've kept it very faithful to that. So no, the, the the layout works the the basement works. Um they've they've kind of taken as much as they can from the two products and then because they have to build a world around it, they've kind of they've kind of built the environment to suit both. And then the only thing you like, you don't see in Norman's bedroom, you see it in his bedroom quite a lot, but it's it's normal, you know, because yeah. they, they don't want to, you know, they're not trying to portray him as this fucking spoiled, you no, know, this fucking mother child who has a, some sort of fractured you know, break with reality they, they're trying to veer away from that trying to make him appear as normal as they can and it's interesting because there's nobody going into that show not knowing a what psycho is and b what the fucking twist is yeah. nobody's going into that show cold no but they I, I try don't and so play it as though it's a complete fucking new fresh start, complete fresh start complete reboot where you're going from the beginning and you're being introduced to norman and norma and what's the fucking brother's name um, Dylan, I think his name was. So you're being introduced to this family unit, or this this dysfunctional family unit, um, as though they are a normal family and things are going wrong. Yeah. And because you know, because everyone's going in with the baggage, you're always looking for what Norman is up to, and you're looking for the tells and the triggers. Because when he actually goes, you'll see it. But for the most part, they're trying to play it like this is the fucking no, this is the Waltons, but shit is happening, and you don't know why. It's the serial killer Waltons, which would have made the Waltons so much fucking better. Um, and the Brady Bunch, let's be honest. Um, but it's it they've kind of gone for this. It's it's like this fucking family drama where shit is happening around the, fa- the the family. But no, because everybody's going into it knowing exactly who Norman Bates is, it yeah. doesn't work to that extent. But the the way it's the, certainly the way it's shot, the way it's set up, the way the world is built, owes a lot to, to to this film especially because I don't think you'd have had the groundwork for that series just in what you had with Anthony Perkins and with, with Hitchcock's version. Yeah, maybe. I mean, as I say, I've, I've not seen it, so I can't really comment. But from what you've said, that certainly would make sense, I think. Um, and it, if nothing else, they're both more contemporary than... Yes. So, yeah, it, it certainly makes sense. Um, I think I'm, I, I don't know what else I can say about this. Like I said, we can't... I, I can't really go through the film because I, I can't find anything wrong. Yeah, it's I mean, just. I... I've got a few things. I, I did more research than I normally do this week, just because. It, I mean, some of the things we watch, I we both watch Under Sufferance. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no fucking see Showgirls and Three Six Five Days and uh, Battlefield Earth. Um, but this one, I was genuinely curious because I I'm still trying to work out my reaction to this film twenty two years later, mm. twenty three years later actually. Um, so I mean, I'm still trying to work that. I mean, I. The fact that it, you know, it won Razzies for worst remake and worst director, and I don't think that's deserved. Absolutely um, not. I, I don't think. I don't think you can. This sounds like a horrible cop out. I don't think you can judge this using the same yardstick as you can for another any other movie remake. No. Or I, I like yes, direction, yes, performances, because those are universal. Whatever the material is, you have to fit. But as a finished product. Hmm. I think this is pretty fucking unique. 
Certainly, it, in it terms is. of certainly in terms of something that's been released anyway. As I say, there are film students all over the world that have done this for as long as there have been cameras and as yeah. long as there's been an industry, and there are film students all over the world doing this now, as we speak. It's just that Van Sant took a fucking ass load of money, yeah, and he took did 60 it on million a dollars massive and, yeah. stage, you know. Yeah, and then the thing is as well. I mean, the the thing that strikes me now is that because it's been over the last twenty three years, it's been suddenly repositioned. In in culture, in in no, it, it, as, as part of the zeitgeist, that it's gone from being a remake to being an experiment, mm. and that the way that narrative's come around, I don't really know, um, but that's where it kind of sits now. And all of a sudden, the even the, the even the critics who were ragging on it when it came out. Um, Roger Ebert springs to mind, gave it one and a half stars. All of a sudden, when you frame it in that context of it being an experiment to you know, to show how remakes work, to show them uh, to show how. You know, direction and performance influence the product, all the, all the rest of that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the same people saying how much of a masterstroke it is to now to, for him to try this. Mm. And that's what I find disingenuous, and that's why I find this very difficult. Um, I think it was Steven Soderbergh who um, he made a, a film called Psychos. It went on his um, on his website, and he basically put he, he cut between the two. Right. Um, I'll, I've I'll, not seen this. I want to see I've this. I've not either. I've, I've I've read it, but I can't find it. Anywhere. If I can find it, I'll put a link up. Um, but he basically intercuts between the two. So where you have the credits and so the um, so the, the the lines coming over them, so you have the top half will be the current or the new credits, and the bottom half being the old credits. So then that don't match up. Um, he's he superimposes one shot over another to show how similar they are, to show where people are in the same place in the frame, to show the same movement. And apparently, I've not. I, said, I can't find it anywhere. If I can find it, I will put a link up to it. But it it goes to show actually how un, unduly criticised this film was, and how unfair the prejudice against this film was, because actually you're more or less watching the same film. There, no, it's the it's the nuances of the direction and the performance that set it apart. But actually, the like no, the dialogue is the same, more or less. The shots yeah. more or less the same. So you can't you can't in one breath be saying. Hitchcock Psycho is the best film ever made, and this is the biggest pile of wank I will ever spend money on. It does That's, work. You can't just um, you can't juxtapose the two. No, I, I agree. Like I, I can definitely tell you which of the two I prefer. Oh, and yeah. I can I can make a reasoned argument as to why Hitchcock's is better. Uh, and that that reasoned argument will be based purely around, you know, Hitchcock's product as a whole and auteur theory and how his film holds together better and the performances work better yes. for me. Now, somebody else could make the exact fucking same argument yes. about this version because they don't care for Hitchcock. Yeah. All right. Now, again, this is based on Hitchcock's version. So make of that what you will. But that, as I said at the start, that's why for me, this film is something different. It's, yes. It is psycho, but it's not psycho. Yeah. It's it's its own thing. Yeah. It's got well, its own energy and you kind of have to meet it on its own terms. Yeah, and to its credit, it's not Psycho 2, 3, or 4. No, it's much better than those. Absolutely. And to its, look, to its credit, I'll be honest, I, I'm just flat out going to say it. I think this is better than 90% of the shit Rob Zombie's remade. Yeah, definitely. And I'll stand by that. I yeah, will absolutely. stand by that all day that. long. And people fucking love those fucking... It's trash. Rob Zombie's a fucking horrible filmmaker. People fucking love him just because he's different and original. No, he's fucking not. He's just... He's just fucking throwing shit up in the air and hoping it sticks. Yeah. Right. This, this has a purpose. This is structured. I, I truly fucking believe that 
that Van Sant was experimenting here. And I truly think in that there is a kernel of something that we can have a reasoned, impassioned, as we're doing now, an informed discussion about. And it elicits an emotional reaction and it makes you act, ask questions. And ultimately, like I said, that is the purpose of any art. And look, to be to be specific here, this isn't an art versus entertainment argument, okay? I'll argue all day long that Killer Clowns from Outer Space is art with you. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, and whether you get the same thing out of it as me, that's up to you. I'll argue all day long that Showgirls is art with you. It's just not good art. It's not art that I like. Rob Zombie's films, the same. It's just not art that I like, okay? It's all art. And the, re you know, it, the only time things like that stop being art is when they have literally nothing to fucking say and no point to exist. Yeah. And yes, there are films out there that are like that, okay? Fuck, I've we don't, two of them. We don't tend to talk about them on this show, though, because they don't elicit a strong enough reaction. Those are the films that make you go, meh. Yeah, that, that, that's an hour and a half. What am I doing now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, and I mean, that's I why think, I get I mean, so annoyed by things like, like you know, when Game of Thrones has a duff episode. Yeah. Listen listen to this week's Game of Moans, people, for more on that. Oh, fuck, um, yeah. But when, when they have a duff episode and I walk away from it, I go, well, I just wasted a fucking hour. Yeah. That's because it wasn't about anything and you didn't elicit any reaction from and I think that was, I mean, some of the criticism I've read of this film is that it doesn't do anything. To, I mean, again, it's taken from a point of view that it's a remake, but it doesn't do anything to enhance or build on what we had in the first place. So you might as well just watch the original. And to a point, I agree, because if you put the two in front of me, I'm watching the original. Yes. So but I. I don't think the point of this was to, I mean, as, as we as said earlier on, I've said many times that when you hear directors going, I wanted to remake this film I loved as a kid because it meant so much to me. And then they go and fucking butcher it because there's too much involvement from studios and other people who want to see certain things that are contemporaneous and will settle now. That's when it falls apart. But at this point, you look at this film and go, well, he's, he's, he's set out to make Psycho and he's made Psycho. Let's be fair. Yeah. It might not, people might not like it as much, but I think the reason people criticised it and people didn't want it was because they were expecting, as we have in so many other remakes, there to be a different take or a different spin or something slightly, just something slightly grittier and edgier and more current than you had in the original. And what you've actually got was a fucking love letter to Hitchcock. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and I, I mean, I, I, I don't say that in a bad way. No, that, this, no, this being a love letter to Hitchcock, this is, no, this is saying your fucking film is the best fucking film ever. So I, I, can't, I can't do any better, but I want to at least do it justice. Yeah, and, and I, I still firmly believe, yes, it's definitely that, but I also think it does exist in this other space as well, where it's, yes, I'm going to copy it in every way possible, but we are going to go out of our way to make it slightly different. And the only way he's done that is in the performance, because yeah. you can never, never recapture a performance. No, you I just mean, you can't. Can, you can copy it, but yes. I mean, then, then it... Then you slide into the the realms of parody. Well, is that yeah? Well, not not yet. If you copy it, is it the same performance? And the answer is no. You know, no, you're, you're, you're it's, then it's playing the a person playing a role as opposed to playing a role yourself. It's exactly why live theatre is so much more exciting than going to the cinema. Okay, now they're different things. I'm not saying I prefer one over the other, but you can go and watch the same show on two entirely different nights and have an entirely different experience. And you're always waiting for the chorus girl to fall down the stairs. Yeah. But you'll have an entirely different experience yeah. because even with the same cast in the same room with the same words, no performance is ever exactly the same twice. And, and I think a lot of that owes again, I mean, certainly with, with the live audience, a lot of that owes to the response as well. Yes. 
Because yeah, yeah, definitely. And I remember um, seeing uh, Lin Manuel Miranda was being interviewed, and he was talking about when he did when they opened, Ham- opened Hamilton here, and the difference between British audiences and American audiences. And like I, we we when we were in New York, we we saw Spam a lot on Broadway, and you get people fucking whooping and hollering and all this, and I'm fucking up. as you as you always see in some of the stereotypical shows about American churches, where everyone's a fucking clapping and dancing and all this shit. We had that in a theatre. You'd never get that in a, in a, with a British audience. Hell no. However, you get in America, as um, Miranda was talking about, um, how when they're talking about, or when he's, he's rapping about um, King George and how Britain keeps ta- keep taxing them and all the rest of it. And in in, in America, it's, oh, fucking, lots of fucking tatting and groaning. And in Britain, it's like, we can't say that. And just the different responses you get from an audience will will temper your performance because all of a sudden you'll have a bit more energy for a particular bit or you'll think something will will land slightly better with a different intonation. So you will have a different show every night based on that audience. Yeah. And I think it's it's an, it, it's such a it's such a liberating thing. And I think from I mean going back to going back to the film, what I was saying with with the performance is that when you start copying a performance, you're not copying a performance; you're imitating somebody else's interpretation. Yes. So what you're actually copying is not their character it's their it's it's what their nuance was so your 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 interpretation is of their interpretation not of the character itself yes absolutely what what you're trying to do is capture the essence of that performance you you can never recreate the performance all you can do is try and capture the essence of it spiritually to try and to try and bring that character to life in the same way that they did but you can never do it exactly the same yeah. because We're, Vince Vaughn isn't Anthony Perkins he has a different way of speaking he has a different body shape he has it and you could you could cast somebody that looks exactly like Anthony Perkins fuck you could digitally de-age him if you wanted to and bring somebody in to do the voice yeah. it would still never quite work yeah because it's it you so you have to go in a different direction and I salute them for doing that because if this was a shot for shot remake and if we did just have Vince Vaughn doing an impersonation of Anthony Perkins, like then I'd be having a different conversation about it. Then I would it's, be saying, "What is the fucking point in this? It's just yeah. worse in every way." That's it. But and it's I think not that was that. where that's where the critics missed the point. I think at the time was that that's how they viewed it. It was that they've remade Psycho, but it's not as good. Yeah, and, and it's not, not say, that it's not as good. It's just it's fucking different. different. Yeah. It's a different product. It is a different product. It's the ninety-nine percent of the component parts are the same. But and again, when we talk about performance, you know, just in the fact that it's a different director channeling that performance, Van Sant will have brought some of his own experience and his own baggage to that as well, because he's yeah. steering the ship. So this is he, he he's doing a Hitchcock cover act. Yes, of course he is. But it's still his version of yeah. a Hitchcock movie. It's not Hitchcock's movie. Yeah. And, and let's be fair, when any of us direct anything, we're all doing a fucking Hitchcock cover act anyway. Yeah, that's, that's all I've ever done. <laughs> Um, I, I, I was watching actually going through and counting the number of shots that we reused in Double Top. A lot is the answer. Um, because, look, um, my, I, I my did approach, 16. My approach as a filmmaker, okay, comes comes full circle really from watching Psycho and realizing that there, there's so much in, in mise-en-scene and composition. And I got really, really into that. So that by the time we met each other, like I was the designated, like Chris is the camera guy. Give him the camera. Chris will set all the shots up. That's what he'll do. But by that point, I feel like I kind of had that down. So then I started drifting off into, well, actually, let's concentrate more on the storytelling of it all. And I think now we both say we're probably writers foremost and everything else on the back foot of it. But 
I apply that logic now in my writing because I see things when I lens things in my mind, I see them through Hitchcock's lens. I just do. That's my cinematic language. Um, I don't do it as good. Not even going to pretend I do it as good. But my lighting certainly, <laughs> certainly, certainly uh, imitates Hitchcock's style. Um, look, that's our tour theory for you. He has a very specific stamp. Yes, you, you yeah, a, a very, a very definite, um, de- very definite style. I remember uh, when I was doing my BA, we did, we did, we did um, I think we did Vertigo, Birds, and North and Northwest in a row. Um, mm-hmm. And while we're doing auto, auto theory, and yeah, no, there's a very definite stamp. And you look at, you don't get that many um, auteurs now. No, and when you do, it's it's kind of like they're playing on it. It's kind of like they're doing it for the sake of doing it, not because there's a re- no, not because they want to or they need to, but actually they think, right, well, that's kind of, that's something that's talked about a lot. So I kind of want to, I kind of want to work around that. I, I want to make it look known that I've done that for a reason. When actually it's just because they, they've learned about it and gone, yeah, let's do that. Um, I think so, I think culture has moved on, and as an audience, we're too informed for that now. Is the problem um, that that kind of hypodermic model that you get with auto theory just can't exist anymore? It can't go. This is what Hitchcock wanted to say. And this is what it means because our whole media now look at like one division's just wrapped at the yeah. time of recording. We've just seen the last episode of that. Look at the amount of fucking butthurt fanboys already saying, well, I thought this meant that. And I thought this meant that. Look, yeah. what we got there was, and actually it was quite Hitchcockian and that there were a load of red herrings in there. Yes. It was a beautifully tight composed story over these nine short episodes that had yeah. a very specific point and everybody involved knew the story they were trying to tell they don't give a fuck what you think the rabbit means yeah all right they don't care that's not part of their story that's you that's yeah. you reading into that now the internet has allowed us to do that as a culture yeah. and so i think to be an auto now is much more difficult much more challenging and actually yeah. quite scary because yeah, there is the risk of whatever you put out there is just going to be misinterpreted. So just go with it now. You just have to use the argument of, well, if that's what you think, then that's great. And I've always played it like that as well, because <laughs> that's how you get good grades in film school, people. <laughs> if that's what you think, yes, that's definitely what I meant. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've got to go. So I, I remember I had a massive argument with a lecturer about this when I was doing my BA. Um, and I was on, I, I I did English literature, so there were seven hundred people on my course, and every single one of them had to take this compulsory module in year one. And I remember having a blazing argument because um, the lecturer was talking about um, derived meaning, and they're saying, "Oh well, by, by doing this, the, you know, the the poet." And it would I, I can't remember who we were doing, but it was some fucking fourteenth century poet, and we, they were talking about um, what a particular line meant, and they said, "Oh." And the question was asked: Has anybody read it any, in a different way? And I think, well, okay, well, it's a, no, it's a, it's an open question, so fuck, I'm going to answer it. And my interpretation was vastly different. And she's like, "Well, no, that's wrong." I said, "How the fuck do you know? It was written 600 years ago." And it's your interpretation, so it's just as valid like, as anyone else's. And she's like, "Well, well, no, because that's not what critical discourse has come up with. I don't give a fuck. I've read it this way. You can't tell me I'm wrong because you can't prove otherwise. Yeah, you can't unless you can dig up the fucking author." reanimate him and tell and get him to tell me that he meant what you said i'm not accepting that no and, 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 that quite fun. <laughs> I, I was labeled disruptive and I, I never had her again and actually you know when you when you look at how we consume media now and when you look at when those arguments happen you look at the the huge uh, backlash to game of thrones and again we, you know to the point where I, I found it quite interesting last week where uh, one division's director came out in front 
of that episode airing just saying like look i'm just letting you all know now all of this shit you're talking about is wrong and it hasn't been addressed so you're going to be disappointed yeah after seeing the backlash to Game of Thrones, because it is that, because and we talked about this on Game of Thrones uh, a couple of weeks back as well, you know, where everybody had their own theories and they were so wrapped up in their own theories that they lose sight of what's actually there. Now, look, their theories aren't wrong. Nobody can say they're wrong, but it's not what people were intending. And, you know, they've they've done it, you know, Benioff and Weiss have done it with Game of Thrones. They've come out and just said, well, that's not we, what we wanted to do. They've done exactly what you just said. You know, you'd have to reanimate them because they're still alive. But they've just come out and said, well, that wasn't the story we're telling. Yeah, this is what we've done. And, and I mean, we rag on these guys a lot. And a lot of the time, I don't like what they say. However, it's their fucking product. And if that's what they intended, that's fine. And yeah, I, now- I'll read it to what I want to read to it. But you, at some point, especially when you, especially nowadays, where you do have a thought, no, you do have authors who are, things are very public, they will come out and say, this is what I meant. Because otherwise, you get so fucking far down it. I think the problem, and, and coming back to where we started this from, I think, it makes people afraid to try and be proper auteurs because there are too many people. And no, unfortunately, opinions like clitorises, every cunt has got one. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, we're at stage socially now where everybody to a man thinks their opinion is more important than anybody else's. Yes, definitely. And you can't tell a podcast. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are seven and a half billion people on this planet. I am one of them. But the other seven and a half billion go fuck themselves because I'm right. Every I time. mean, to be fair, you probably count for two. You're a fucking nearly a literal giant. Like True. I used to be three, but I lost some weight. <laughs> I wasn't about your weight. It was about your size. Some fucker's going to call me fat. Not me. I was talking about your size. I'm far too scared of you to call you fat. You're massive. <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck were we? Um, yeah, auteur theory. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Everybody has their own opinion, and so it is difficult. That's why you don't get auteurs now. Yeah, uh, you well, know, I think it's a it's a fear factor that people are too afraid to come and say this is what I mean because they don't want they don't want to alienate potential fans or potential followers or whatever you want to set it up. That you don't want to go and alienate anybody. So it's it's easier just to say you do you, I'll do me, and we'll just never talk about it. And I think it's it's, it's detrimental sometimes. I mean. You will never, no, you will never get another Hitchcock because you will never get anybody who is willing to make a film in the same way and is willing no. to, to be as as open as transparent. And I mean, when he did um, Rebecca, as as another example, he came out and people are fucking re- absolutely rarely it's it wasn't the same as the book. And he's like, well, we made it as best we, you know, we made what we felt the story was. Mm. And I think ourselves they came out at the start and said, we, well, we bought Rebecca, so we're going to make Rebecca. But then yeah. people, were, well, hang on, you didn't because you didn't do this and you didn't do that. So yeah, but we. If we'd done that, it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have ma- wouldn't have worked the same. So this is what I intended. Whereas yeah. now everyone just kind of goes, yeah, whatever. Or they just don't say anything at all because they don't want to piss people off or they don't want to upset anybody who might then tell somebody else and then two people won't go see the movie or two people will all of a sudden start a fucking petition to get it rewritten or whatever else. I think, you know, as, as we move further into internet culture and as we move further into this kind of amalgamation of media that we're seeing now as well where everything's falling under studio umbrellas and everything's about a franchise and thing like that my personal thought on that is what you're going to see this this auto this auto theory is not going to go away because it can't but it will shift i think what you'll see is auteurs less being referred to as directors and more we're going to look at producers now and say look look at what's happening over at marvel for instance yeah, again Do you see, kevin feige is the closest thing to an auteur we have working yeah. in entertainment today like everything goes through that guy he has a very clear timeline of what's happening and again yes he's adapted media he's gone from comic books on the screen and he's changed things 
Yeah. Not a single fucking person dares come out and says, that was wrong. They might say, oh, that was different to the comics because of this, that, or the other. But whatever he's done, by and large, they've had a few misfires, but by and large, everything has been a certified grade A, 100% fucking success. Yeah. So nobody can go, ah, but that was better in the comic. When I... No, but, it was and different. And it, and it, it, may, it may have been better in the comics, but it doesn't always necessarily suit the product. Yeah. And I think yeah. this is, I mean, this is where he's really coming to his own is that he's, and he, he was interviewed a couple of weeks ago when they were talking, they were talking about WandaVision. And he's like, yeah, I kind of just look at it that the films are the films and everything else is what it is. Yeah. And so the, the fact that WandaVision is canon and ties into the films kind of makes it different in a way, you know, where sort of, no, 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 Jessica Jones and um, uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, none of that is canon. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. isn't canon. None of that is related to the movies even though Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of was, but yeah. yeah so, yeah. That, I mean, they, they diverged because they had a whole other timeline shared, so that was all fine. So, but he's, no, he's very much said, this is my bit, the movies and the tie-ins are my bit, anything else, so the comics, the other shows, anything that's been sold fucking previously that I had nothing to do with, scrap it all, I don't care. Yeah. I will take what I need to take, but this is the product I am selling. Yeah. And be it 23 movies and fucking nine episodes or whatever the fuck it's going to end up as, that will be his legacy. And you're right, That's that was the comparison I was going to make. That's the closest thing we get to an auteur now, is the closest thing to a controlling mind, where everything kind of flows from that one spot. Yeah, and look, make no bones about it, it's Matt Shankman in it, the director, him coming out and saying, this is the story we've told, and you know, don't be, you know, don't be jumping down our necks and prepare yourself, you're going to be disappointed and stuff like that. Look, yes, he probably wants to say that so he doesn't get the flack, but those ain't his words. Don't no. kid yourself. No, All right. Absolutely not. Same, same. Even to the point with um, Bob Chapek uh, gave shareholder speech yesterday. Yeah. I follow this kind of stuff as well, and uh, he's actually drawing comparisons then to how you know people were asking him about whether people are suffering from superhero fatigue and stuff like that. First thing he does is go to one division and say, "Look how we managed to tell a completely different story, yeah. but it featured superheroes, but it was about something much different. It was in a different medium." And look, none of these are words that belong to these people. These are words no, no. that they've picked up from Feige. From, yeah, or have been like, specifically I really given. I, I don't know that they've been specifically given. I don't I don't necessarily think it's that. Maybe they have. I don't know. We don't know. I, what I, I would imagine, seen. I mean, given how tightly everything's controlled, I would imagine that even if the words themselves aren't sort of written down in black and white, is these are your talking points. These are the beats you have to hit. Yeah, it, it's definitely a case of, for instance, Chapek's going to have gone to him and said, OK, what's going on with Marvel? Chapek hasn't said that himself. He's a fucking puppet at best. He's an idiot. All right. But. He's gone to fight and said, what are we going to say about Marvel? And he's going to, here's what we think about WandaVision. And yes. then the fucking head of the company's gone out. The fucking CEO has gone out and just said, this is what WandaVision's about. It's not him. He doesn't fucking understand. He hasn't got a clue. He doesn't know what's going on in the fucking minutiae of all the TV shows he sits over. Yes. And why should he? That's why he employs people. Yeah, exactly. Now, so I think we're going to see that, particularly as we move towards streaming platforms and things like that. I think... I think auteur theory is going to shift towards producers because especially in a TV model, your writers and your producers are your fucking directors anyway. Yeah, so that's where your auteur theory is going to come in. That is a random tangent. I didn't see us going on in the Psycho <laughs> podcast. Apologies for all the fucking Marvel talk, but it just see it, it's the most natural place to go if you want to talk yeah. about auteur theory right now. Yeah, is to is. look at what's going on over there. Um, so yeah, in summation, going back to Psycho. Um, yeah, once upon a time we actually talked about Psycho. Well, yeah, we're talking about Psycho quite a lot, actually. We've stayed on topic for most of this podcast, which is odd for us. Um, I, I don't hate this film and can't hate this film. It's, I don't love it, but I respect it. I have a lot of respect for it, in fact. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I'll watch it again as well. You know, as I say, this is the fourth time. I don't think it'll be the last. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, it's 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 difficult as I said at the start because it's not my psycho. It's not what I grew up with. No. I mean, listen, I I have very specific memories of being exposed to Psycho. I said when we were in Florida, I would have been eight, and see, you know, the whole Universal show, and you see, you, so you get the whole thing. It, it runs right up until the shower, um, and the, the end of it is the shower, and they, they, they unmask slightly differently, so they unmask in the shower scene, so you don't. But that's fine. So then I have a relationship with that film that I don't have with this one. However, just because it's um, it's not the same, but it's not different either. And I think that's, as I said at the start, I don't know how, where I sit with this film. I don't know what it is. But I look at this and I think, right, it's not, if I take it in isolation, it's not a bad film. It's not what I'd expect from a slasher film today mm-hmm. or even from 1998. However, it's what I would expect from a Hitchcock film. Yeah. And that really confuses the piss out of me. But I'm, gonna, I'm always going to come down on the side that this isn't a bad movie. No, it's not. It's just, it's just for me, it's misplaced. Yeah, and I, think yeah that's, I would agree. That's probably. I mean, it's, it's, it seems a little confused as a, as, a, as a statement, but it's misplaced in as much as it doesn't belong to Psycho because Psycho is Psycho and Psycho two, three, and four are whack. This is neither, but it kind of is. I think. I think proper critical discussion of this of this film has to happen through an art house lens. Yes, I, and I'm sorry if that sounds wanky, but it, it does. It can't happen through a popular entertainment lens. Which, yeah. which is kind of sad because ultimately that's one of the beautiful things about Hitchcock is he can put a foot in either of those camps so well and marry them. The, the original cycle does that beautifully. It's why it got me so interested in film. Um, but this doesn't. I, I feel like this is very much avant-garde. If you want to get anything out of it, you've got to go digging around for what the root purpose of it was and not looking for the meaning that's there and that's obvious, but... But looking for the core and looking for the emotional connection of it and looking for for what it says about performance as an art form. Um, and that's a different way of critical thinking to what we traditionally go with on this podcast, which is just to make dick jokes and shit on films from a great height. Um, so I guess this has been a slightly different kind of podcast this episode. Um, but that's that's where I am with it. I put it. I put an entirely different hat on to yeah. talk about this film than I do about fucking showgirls. So, so I mean, I've I've got to ask because I don't know where I fucking I know I know where I sit on this one. Is it better than Mario? Absolutely, categorically, yes. Uh, no, no question asked. I would watch this over Mario a hundred percent of the time. Give yeah. me a two. So, same here. I've got to ask because the name of the show. But yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, not I, even even from entertainment value alone. It, it's as we said, it's taken on its own. It's fine. It's a good film. So yeah. fine. Yeah. You know? Um. As always, we'd love to know what you think, listeners, because I mean. As you might have noticed in the last two hours, we're really fucking confused about this film. Um, so, yeah, please, by all means, let us know what you think. Um, get in touch on Facebook and YouTube with the Rebel Land Podcast Network. On Twitter, you can get in touch at ddpodcastnet. You can go to our website, which is ddpodcast.net, where you can also get our previous episodes and our other shows as well. Wherever you get your podcasts from, be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon Music, etc. Like, share, subscribe, leave some message. We'll be back to you as best we can. But until next time. See you later.